I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I, of course, am Tom, the uh, roving lunatic bionic. I'll vouch for that. Huh. And? Emmett Brown, no middle name. So, we're back at the Future Quake Show this week, and we have back joining us again, our uh, our, our voice again from the past, our uh, guest host, our co-host emeritus, uh, Emmett, joining us back again this week. Uh, so good to have you back here on Future Quake. It's good to be here. Okay. Uh, we're just working on two mics now because uh, I haven't gotten another mic yet. So, uh, guys, just feel free to swing it around if you need to there, okay? Word. No, it'll take you a second to swing it, but just get it where y'all are comfortable. We'll make sure we hear you. And don't make funny gestures at me in my face when I'm talking Sorry. either. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I, one of y'all doing that's enough. We don't need two people doing it. Uh, we will bar the studio. At least Pyro doesn't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you this week uh, for another edition of the Future Quake Show. And I just happened to look at something and find out something very, very interesting. Um, boy, I, I, I had me up instead of you all. I apologize for that. Yeah. Um, had, the, had the wrong audio up there. Um, anyway, um, found out something interesting this week. Uh, if you count... Each of our WENO shows is individual broadcast. Mm-hmm. Then this particular broadcast will be our 800th broadcast of Future Quick. Wow! Wow! 800 episodes, and we're still going strong. And one or two people are still listening. That's the yeah, amazing both, thing. There's two downloads a week, whether we like it or not. Yeah, it might be me, but no, 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 no. More than two. In fact, uh, any of y'all out there, if you want to let us know when you email, let us know your guess of how long you've been listening. Uh, how long back we'd like to find out some of our longer term listeners uh, are out there. I think we've got maybe a, a few from our WRFN days, a bunch of them from WNO. So just let us know. We'd like to know how long out there. Um, before I get into some announcements, you all got anything breaking that's going on right now you want to mention? Mm, my car is always in a constant state of breaking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've been in some transportation bondage. Yeah. No, it actually no, things are going okay. Car run, car's going down yeah. the road. It just sound, it was like more of a joke, really. Okay. Okay. What what else is breaking? My back is kind of always in process of breaking and having to do stretches and stuff to fix it. Okay. All right. My bank account is always breaking, but Yeah. You know. Yeah. But your heart's good. Heart's yeah. whole. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Emmett? Any uh, news at your direction? Um, just everything's good. I mean, going to have to move soon. You, we've talked about this a little another, bit before Another the show. life change. But uh, working a great job. I'm enjoying it, learning a lot. Uh, really exciting time for me. You're going in a positive direction. Very much so. Okay. So you you and Miss Emmett are pretty happy. What's What's going on? Um, she may be getting a little tired of the too much contact because I get to see her a lot more. Oh, that's a drag for her. Yeah, she probably thinks that's a drag. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's hard even for our listeners when they hear from you once a year or something like that, you That's know? right. But uh, she gets a lot more of that. Well, I tell you, it's great to be with everybody. It's been an interesting day today, the day of our recording. The stock market 
dropped about three and a half percent. Big major drop. Oops. We, we got a major debate tonight going on. We've got Ahmadinejad talking in the He's UN debating. Today. Who's he be debating? Well, he he was talking about how uh, there's a conspiracy about uh, uh, Osama bin Laden that uh-huh. uh, that actually. They they shot him and did not let him testify for a reason. There's a reason why that he's not doing what's going on. And so what did the U.S. do? They just walked out of the delegation. And he talked about presenting, you know, presenting a body and pulling it forward. So that was an interesting day today. I got a couple quick announcements I want to make. I want to thank all of our listeners who have been um, blessing us in our ministry before we get started in our news stories. Um. We had uh, some folk this last week that made some donations to Future Quake, which helps us with our expenses of doing our show and getting research materials and the like. Uh, I want to thank Sister Lydia and Brother Joshua and Brother Stephen for making some donations for us. And I also want to thank um, some folk for getting the two book set. And I was told by Brother Andrew that we only have six sets left. And that is a special commemorative set for Future Quake that has... Um, Lies the Government Told You by uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano and The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars by Andrew Hoffman, which is two books that basically will explain 90% of what we talk about on Future Quake. And it's an excellent primer for anybody who wants to introduce some of the complicated uh, discussion topics we have here to somebody else. These two books are a good way to break the ice with somebody, uh, with somebody they know like Judge Napolitano and the other book, Mr. Hoffman, that brings in the Christian element to it. And, uh, again, we've got about five or six left. But I want to thank Tracy in Washington, Ross in Georgia, uh, Jan in Austria, uh, or John, excuse me, John in Austria, uh, for ordering those. And also I'd like to thank uh, folk out there who have been getting um, either uh, two books that I have written, uh, a portion of two anthology books, along with some other Future Quake authors. One of them is called... Uh, how, uh, how to Overcome the Most Frightening Issues You Will Face This Century. And the other one is Pandemonium's Engine about the transhumanism movement. You can read about them, a little excerpt at frontoffuturequake.com and order it there. Uh, and we have, we have plenty of those available right now. And I want to thank, uh, Susan and, uh, J- uh, and Jacqueline in Washington, uh, Stephen in Washington and Darlene in Ohio for ordering books this week. And Susan's in California. So I want to thank you all. You help our ministry, help make this stuff possible, and and uh, help us to get the materials we need to do the show every week for the last seven years. And that's enough for the commercial end of things. Uh, we have next week, uh, from our format since the beginning of December, we've gone on a, a once-a-month interview format where we interview a guest, and next week will be no exception. Uh, in fact, we're going to be a day early. We'll actually be on the 30th of September when this will be uploaded instead of the first. But we've got a very, very special guest we're going to be interviewing next week that one of the most interesting and fascinating topics to me uh, that we'll be talking about is something I've been arranging for many, many, many months and finally got it going. So you'll want to tune in next week uh, for our great interviews. But in the meantime, the three of us uh, Futurian Primes are going to be reviewing some news today, tomorrow's Trimmers. So any, any other word that you all have before we jump into our stories? I'm going to feel like an NPR person right now. Okay, we have to talk like this. Yes, we do. Yes. Yes. And we got to tell stupid stories that nobody really cares to hear. 
and have some little chamber music in the background. And then it goes... You know, they're doing their pledge drive right now, but maybe think, I have known that you've had those books that you have written the chapters for and participated with, and every time I've intended to purchase one and have not, Yeah. within one week, I'm purchasing... No. Yeah. I so have you're to. you're making like a pledge on I'm air. I'm making a like, pledge. It's like a telethon. Yeah, I'm making a pledge. You know how many times? Well, I don't know. If you're like me, you intend to do it. Yeah. You just never take the right. steps to do it. Right. So. Wow. Well, that's cool to hear on air, man. So. That's really cool. In fact, you could go one step further and pledge that you'll buy one book. You'll match a pledge of everyone listening. For every book <laughs> sold this year, you'll buy a matching one. How about that? Uh... <laughs> okay. It's it. You know the the problem is that each one of those books has the same material in it, so it'd wow. get boring if you read the the tenth copy of the same book, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can give it out to your millions of friends. But thank you. That that's that's very nice for you to make to make that offer. And uh, that's cool. Well, I mean, that's not really an offer. That's that's just that's an offer to me. Okay, we'll be cured. And then you can come on here and skewer it, and uh, I can write a book report, a debunkumentary on it. And I'll find that on YouTube. Uh, the sins of Doctor Future, you know, an expose. Yeah. I appreciate that very, very much. Well, uh, we've got stories. Unless anybody else has got a quick word, they've got. I'm cool. All right. You're cool. Um, either you two gentlemen would like to proceed, begin? Hand raised. You? Yeah. Okay. I got one that I thought was cool. I'll bet you guys probably have it, though, but, you know, oh, well. That's 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 why I wanted to go first. <laughs> well, if you hear me say, boring, you'll know that I have it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Lloyd's Insurer sues Saudi Arabia for funding 9-11 attacks. You guys have that one? No. Oh, Really? Okay. Well, I mean, this obviously could it could go in all sorts of interesting areas. They eventually with, withdrew the thing like the next day uh without um there's a name for it. They they review they withdrew it uh I can't But anyway, it's interesting that they said it. They sued Saudi Arabia for having and helping 9-11. And interestingly, they they also make a bunch of other things. I'll just read the story here from the Independent. That'd be a good idea. Just read the story. Yeah, there you go. A Lloyd's insurance syndicate has begun a landmark legal case against Saudi Arabia accusing the kingdom of indirectly funding al-Qaeda, as they spell it there in Britain, and demanding the repayment of $136 million it paid out to victims of the 9-11 attacks. The Brighton-based Lloyd's 3500 syndicate, which paid... $215 $215 million compensation to companies and individuals involved alleges that the oil-rich Middle Eastern superpower bears primary responsibility for the atrocity because al-Qaeda was supported by banks and charities acting as agents and alter egos for the state of Saudi Arabia. Saudi are our ally? Well, it depends on who you believe. When we built all the military bases there by the holy shrines. Have you ever seen those cool pictures of, like, they've got a... Um, you know, they've got like a Mercedes-Benz dealership and a camel pen where these these people mm-hmm. like their oil wealth skyrocketed them into into opulence so fast that it was literally like dudes would like ride in on a on a on a, you know, on a camel, park the camel and drive away in a Mercedes. Yeah. 
It's, it's totally wild. They did a version of that on Saturday Night Live. It was like a, a take on the Beverly Hillbillies called mm-hmm. the Bel Arabs. <laughs> they lived in Bel Air, and they and their granny had, wore like a uh, what do you call those uh, things? They wear burqa. Yeah, and she'd go. Ah, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Funny. Not that uh, that's a stereotype or anything. No, no, no it's yeah. not a stereotype. Um, I'll just I'll read another little paragraph here, and we can we can toss it around and just move on. Uh, outlined in a 156-page document filed in Western Pennsylvania, where United Airlines Flight 93 crashed on 9/11, the claim suggests that the nine defendants knowingly, quote unquote, provided resources, uh, including funding to Al Qaeda in the years before the attack, and encouraged anti-Western sentiment, which increased support for the terror group. Um, the legal claim states, absent the sponsorship of Al-Qaeda material sponsors and supporters, including the defendants named therein, Al-Qaeda would not have possessed the capacity to conceive, plan, and execute the 11 September attacks. The success of Al-Qaeda agent, uh, the success of Al-Qaeda's agenda, including the 11 September attacks themselves, has been made possible by the lavish sponsorship Al-Qaeda has received from its material sponsors and supporters over more than a decade leading up to 11 September 2001. Mm. So Lloyds of London's getting all getting mm. all hopping mad. They're suing everybody. Mm. Um, it, interesting, though. And mm. it, you know, I wasn't surprised to see the very next di- next day that it got dismissed without complaint. They just said, "We can't comment. We're just dismissing it." They had a phone call. Yeah. Uh, in, in in the insurance journal, it was dismissed and uh, quoting quoting their eternal cousin yeah. O'Connor, cousin O'Connor. Uh, he said he cannot talk about the lawsuit other than to say that we were instructed to voluntarily dismiss without prejudice. That of course means that the suit is free to be refiled, and certainly similar suits may be filed by others. Wow! There you go. So, I mean, how else can you interpret it? Somebody got to him to hush. Could have even paid him a ton of money <clears throat> to drop it. Yeah, here's $215 to shut up. I would have guessed more than $215, I'm thinking. You never know. I know that sounds like big money. But, <laughs> What's you know. interesting is that uh, just today or maybe yesterday, uh, maybe they didn't, you know, maybe they gave him a hot tip because Lloyds of London pulled all their euro denominated bank accounts. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but they pulled it out of Could the bank. Could have been. Like, literally, I mean... They have another way to compensate, you yeah. know. We're not giving you any under, money, but we're just saying table. that you won't lose any more money if you pull all your right. all your bank accounts and that's denominated not, in euros. And that's not traceable. Yeah. Whereas if they sent money, somebody might pick it up unless it was drug money, which is the way our government yeah. usually yeah. pays for stuff. But Yeah, Lloyds of London pulls euro bank deposits. Here it is, September the 21st. Bloomberg. Bloomberg is where you're getting that from. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. the pulling the banks, pulling the euro bank. Now, you know, if they really wanted money, they should go to the kingpins above the Saudis, and that would be the U.S. government. Because if you do your homework, and I'll suggest to our our listeners to get a book like The Devil's Game, where it actually shows back at the end of World War II how our government set up the, the Saud family, put them in business, and really helped them get the Wahhabi movement going of pan-Islam, which is the most extreme militant Islam, mm-hmm. was bankrolled by the U.S. And these guys were all Wahhabists. That yeah. supp- the four, was it 14 of the 19 hijackers, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Saudi, something which like that. Which is interesting because that has roots in Colorado. The beginning of the Wahhabi movement. Uh, I knew it. Came Colorado. From, yeah, it came, from, it came from a guy named 
uh, Saeed Kob, Kotob. And, uh, he moved to, he moved to like Colorado Springs, maybe. I can't remember the name of the town. Yeah. He mo- moved to Colorado in 1949 and he saw what, he saw what was going on and he said, there's something, something has infected this country. And I don't know what it is, huh. but he saw it as a, uh, he saw it as a disintegration of moral norms because of living the opulent life too much. Almost like, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. almost like if you plant seeds in the ground and you'd never prune them, they grow and they grow and they grow and they get all crazy. And at some point they grow so much, it's almost like they're sort of tearing themselves apart. Huh. And, um, it's like the Rocky Mountain Hajib. Yeah. So on the boat back to Egypt, he said, you know, he had a lot of time to think. He said, I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is, but like imposing a radical form of Islam is probably the first step. And I, mm. I'm not even sure that he believed it necessarily. Yeah. But um, Do you think that's how Focus on the Family got started there in Colorado Springs? Or? Anything's possible. Soul also Turners. the Air Force training base there. Yeah, yeah. Sojourners. Yep. That's probably not actually far from the truth. I mean, yeah. in terms of... Just you know, a different brand of Wahhabi. Yeah. Well, it all yeah. gets back to Leo Strauss again. You know, we've mentioned him several times. Maybe we should do a show and I'll talk about Leo Strauss. He was this political philosopher in the 40s and 50s who, uh, he said, he, he he really introduced this sort of, he's the grandfather of neoconservative, mm-hmm. uh, the neoconservative movement. Uh, he said crazy stuff like, <clears throat> yeah, like, yeah, his name just came up the other day when I was yeah. reviewing. Yeah, like, like uh, the reason that people, and this is me paraphrasing, you know, oh, yeah. you know, pages and pages of research, but the reason the people that are in power are in power and have been in power historically is they understand that there's no moral absolutes and they're able to do the things that the other lesser beings are not able to do, mm. uh, and it, which includes manufacture enemies. Uh, a classic example of that mm-hmm. in the neoconservative movement would yeah, be Plan B. Too. Yeah, I yeah, would be uh, uh, or Team B, rather. Team B report. Yeah, 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 1970s, the CIA said that which was the exaggerated communist? Theory. Yeah, yeah. They said the CIA said mm-hmm. the the communists are nothing but like a like a rusty old tank with a bunch of fresh paint on it. Mm-hmm. You know, push comes to so, shove, we'd stomp them like a piece of mm-hmm. tinfoil. And uh, Team B got together and uh, somehow got a team of quote experts unquote together, mm-hmm. and uh, there they evaluated the Soviets' uh, threats on like 200 key points and mm-hmm. said, well, just because we can't discover it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist what it means is that it's so mm-hmm. good their te- technology is so advanced that we can't even detect it right like the faroe islands for example mm-hmm. we don't see any major fleet they have so it's probably all just massive submarine power they have yeah, it's because so, we can't see it. it they have like 50 stealth ships at least yeah yeah it, on, uh, but really the same thinking yeah exactly and what's ironic is now we have some of the same people on that Team B report, which has been thoroughly discredited. Mm-hmm. The end of the Cold War showed that they were you know, yeah, totally was, out of lunch. Yeah. But now we have a Team B2 report recently released by the same people, along with, with uh, our, our, our friend Jer, uh, General Jerry Boykin and others, that, that harken back to the legacy of the Team B report. Now they have the Team B2 report, but instead of communism, they've replaced it with Sharia law mm-hmm. and Islamism. With the same exact claims. Exactly. Part, if it worked good in part one, it'll work again in part two. Ding More ding. like P.T. Barnum. Or, yeah, 
Is it P.T. Barnum? Barnum. Uh, says, uh, <laughs> isn't that his name? Who's on the Team B report? Well, he, he said a sucker's born every minute. Yeah, so I was just right saying about on. the American public. Uh, uh, well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, uh, so there you go. Emmett, you got uh, anything you want to lay on us? It's not as spectacular, uh, but I do have a... Uh, you have just a totally uninteresting story to share with us then? Well, it's, it's interesting to me. I don't know if it's, you know, conspiracy theory worthy. Um, but this is pretty good to me. Uh, it's an article from the Wall Street Journal. I'm not going to read, the obviously, the entire thing. But um, talking about how um, the government basically has the ability to track cell phones without you even using your cell phone. And um, turn your turn your mic away a little bit there. It's a little hot. Sorry, yeah, that's good right there. Um, but they have the ability to track your cell phone without you even using it. Without, um, as a matter of fact, um, through a someone I know who works for the government, mm-hmm. it says that they ha- they personally have used the technology to walk by people, turn on their cell phones, and make calls from that will aden- be identified as the other person's cell phone from their, their, you know, from their own cell phone, if that makes sense. Make sure I understand this. Okay. It's somebody that you're aware of, so you know that it's true. They could actually remotely make a make a call through this, this other person's phone? Yes. So so what would stop somebody from, somebody so powered like this, if they wanted to, to go past my phone and call a terrorist, and then it would show in my log that I called a terrorist? Um, I wouldn't say there was, I think that may be part of the purpose of having that technology or maybe not so much calling terrorists, but to have it show up on somebody else's logs. I, for one, would love to have a hold of that thing. I'd be logging into random people's phones and calling like Afghanistan, people I don't know, being like, hey, Uh what's up, man? There you go. You're like, hello, what? Call the jihadist network. Yeah. But, uh, my article is actually much less cool. It's just talking about how um, they, they have the ability to track cell phones wherever you have them, whether you're using Even it or not. Even if they're off, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's going to go to the Supreme Court. So I'm just kind of starting in the middle. On uh, November 8th, the Supreme Court will hear arguments over whether or not police uh, need a warrant before secretly installing a GPS device on a suspect's car and tracking him for an extended period. In both the Senate and the House, new bills would require a warrant before tracking a cell phone's location. And on Thursday, a U.S. District Court of Arizona, Judge David G. Campbell, is set to hear a request by Mr. Rigmaiden, who is facing fraud charges, to have information about the government's secret techniques disclosed to him so he can use it in his defense. Mr. Rigmaiden maintains his innocence and says that using stingrays to locate devices in homes without a valid warrant disregards the United States Constitution and is illegal. Stingrays? That's the name of the device that they oh, use okay. to... It's not that thing with the big prong on the end of it and no, going in your heart. Okay. No, no. No fish. Because fish I just keep the water out of the house, so I want to keep those kind of stingrays out. Um, his argument has caught the judge's attention. In a February hearing, according to a transcript, Judge Campbell asked the prosecutor were there warrants obtained in connection with the use of this device. The prosecutor, Frederick A. Batista, said the government obtained a court order that satisfied the language in the federal law on warrants. The judge then asked how an order or warrant could have been obtained without the ch- telling the judge what technology was being used. Mr. Batista said it was a standard practice, Your Honor. 
So, sweet. So basically, you know, the government can spy on us, and uh, I'm a pretty patriotic person, and I would say that's one of the reasons why we're Americans, uh, you know, and, and not British. To get spied on? No, so that we <laughs> that we have the right to have you know have private households without mm-hmm. somebody. Basically, well, here's to the point you're making. The big thing they used to do back then would have they could put troops in your house and let yeah. them stay. And the, one of the big things of the, well, I guess the Declaration of Independence name was mentioned, where you weren't allowed to have troops staying in your house. Or they said that was one of the reasons they were seceding. Yeah. And then that was a big thing that, that was put. Was that See, is that in the Bill of Rights? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember what clause that is. But but they're basically not allowed to enter troops, which is sort of what this is. Yeah. I mean, that's really the prophecy thing because they're, they're, they're in virtual world, they're putting troops in your property yeah which is pretty scary i hadn't thought of it but it's so funny because there's another aspect of this that was in the news today about um uh, onstar on cars and how they have now admitted they have caught gm um tracking people and what they're doing and how they're driving their car even though the onstar is supposed to be off in other words people did not renew their onstar purposely or had it turned off or whatever so these people are on their the idea that it's off, and and they're not being monitored, and so they got cornered. And GM admitted, "Oh yeah, we've been collecting data on you anyway, even though it's off. But you know, it's for your good. Uh, we're doing it in case you know it makes the cars design better. Uh, we we know how you know how to use stuff. And they had all these real virtuous things, and they never did mention that." Oh, by the way, we do sell it to the government. We sell this information to them to use. No big deal. What the hey? No big deal. Not at all. Which may, you know, uh, Mrs. Future went with a, her sewing friends to Amish country uh, in the last couple of days. And she was talking about how she could really see to appreciate that kind of lifestyle for them. I mean, not that she wants to get rid of her technology things, but there were a lot of advantages there. And they're the only people that have sort of, of course, I just read about some Amish in Kentucky that were sent to jail because they wouldn't put the reflector triangle on the back of their buggy. And so they were sent to jail for that, so. Well, you know, I personally think the Amish, I mean, uh, initially had a very good idea. I mean, they weren't as backward seeming as they are today when they first came into prominence. And then, uh, um. You know what it'd be neat if we started a group that would be sort of in between the two, where we would sort of freeze technology to say 1974, and we would cause a movement that we just have kind of big mustaches, big hair, yeah, we would just hutch vehicles, and you could have like Atari video games and Pong, but you couldn't have anything above that. You know, what would you think yeah, about something like that? Again. Yeah, yeah, we just we'd sort of limit it to that level of technology. So would. Well, if we did that, we'd have push-button phones, but I think we should go to the rotary phones just at the advent of the the push-button phone just yeah, before okay. then. That's when we should go. We'd have a big debate about that one, but yeah. Yeah, and that, then, that could be like a religious topic to argue about. Is the push-button phone acceptable? Right, right. And uh, like you could have Jiffy Pop popcorn, but you know. Yeah. But you could you could do it on a stove, but not in the microwave. You know that kind of thing. So you'd have movie of the week, and you'd only watch. <laughs> yeah, you could only have three channels in your yeah. home, or maybe one extra, one independent yeah. channel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll have to be thinking about that. Maybe we could cause a a movement. At least that would get rid of this other problem. You know. Yeah. 
because, uh, you know, the phones were pretty limited back then, and you didn't want to, long distance was expensive, so you didn't want to use it very much at home, so. Yeah. But, you know, is this why the push of technology has been there? I mean, there's some people who say that there is a dark satanic force pushing technology. In fact, we had a discussion a few weeks ago with Downing Thomas on our show, who's an engineer like I am, who went into it trying to do something virtuous and godly and be creative, you know, like our creator is. But then, you know, he starts asking the questions, too. Are we led to believe that dark forces are behind a lot of the stuff? And, you know, my answer was these are mostly accelerants. They're, 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 they're accelerants for the last days. It gets us there faster. They're, they're neutral in a sense or good or bad, but it makes the falling good or bad faster. Yeah. And I think it certainly accelerates their tyranny over, over our lives. So Yeah. Well, I mean, just today also, uh, this is not government spying on us, but uh, they, Facebook made the big announcement about how they're going to, you can listen to music at the same time that your friends are by subscribing to their music feeds through Spotify. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, you know, they talked about basically their, their goal is to keep you on their website longer so they can collect mm-hmm. more information on you and, and uh, do direct, you know, marketing ads through the, their website. Uh, to me, it's 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 scarier, you know, that corporations could be getting our information. At least with the government, we have laws, whether they're enforced or not. We have them that are that are effective, mm-hmm. you know, within you know, mm-hmm. lower forty eight and supposedly the other mm-hmm. two states. Uh, um, and Texas is one of the other two states. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're always on the verge of seceding. Yeah, we but, need to get Catherine Albrecht on our show, who's Miss RFID Chip, because she really sees the far-reaching implications of what this is. You know. Yeah, but the corporations—I mean, it's—they're just unstoppable. I mean, they can just change jurisdictions, and you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they're—you know—they're—they're they're truly international corporations right now. Right. I think really our problem. You know, often we talk about government being the problem. You know, and we need to make government mm-hmm. smaller. Really. It's cor- really it's it's tough because the thing that comes to my mind immediately is really we're in more of like a corporatocracy, you know that sort of uh, that kind of uh, there's this there's this economics theory called deep capture that really came to came to prominence with uh, David Byrne of uh, Overstock.com. Hmm. He alleged that he Does alleged that involve that, anything with like blowing up an asteroid that was coming to Earth with a nuke or something. No, it sounds okay. like a neat movie though. Yeah. Be something from the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Um, the whole idea was that um, the whole idea was that uh, at some point corporations get so big they actually capture the regulatory in, in, uh, uh, regulatory institutions and do whatever they want. And uh, hadn't that happened a long time ago? Yeah, yeah. Well, this was like economics, like most critical thinking. Is in like, the auto industry. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's like I, they were like way behind, you know, all that stuff, but. It was an actual, somebody wrote a paper and, you know, it was like a dis- dissertation yeah. type peer-reviewed thing. And um, uh, that's, uh, this guy of Overstock.com would, made a huge comment on that. And he actually put a link right up in Overstock.com mm-hmm. on their blog. Like, here's all the stuff you can buy. By the way, you can read like 50 articles on Deep Capture and this is mm-hmm. what's happened. So, I think he was mm-hmm. also a 9-11 truth person for a while. You know, that rings a bell. Yeah. I do think that somebody from Overstock.com had that connection. Yeah. Maybe we should get him on the show sometime. Yeah. We'll he's, a, he's a Mormon. Okay. I believe. Well, thanks for the warning. 
Well, you know, you two guys have had two thought-provoking stories that really um, intellectually spur us to you know what it means to be free and as Christians and things like that. Mm-hmm. I figured in the spirit of the whole purpose of why I started Future Quake, I would just read a story that was nothing but salacious gossip. Awesome. Sweet. So if that's okay, I'm just going to switch gears. Go lowbrow on us this time, okay? And this, this is a... This is a story that I have no idea if any of it or all of it is true. Um, but it's not being talked about much, at least when I watch Fox News, and it's certainly being not talked about in Christian stuff. So um, I'll just see what you think about it here. This is from the, the, the Daily Mail, um, which is the uh, uh, British newspaper, prompt newspaper. It says here... Uh, Todd Palin will file for divorce, and advisors tell Sarah the White House dream is over. I don't know if you all heard of this. What? This is this is about Sarah Palin. I don't know if it, it sort of relates to the new book that's out. And again, I have no idea if any of it's true, but I thought it'd be something for us to to mull over the implications of of what's going on here. Uh, it says Todd Palin will file for divorce, and advisors tell. Uh, Tell her the White House dream is over after release of an explosive biography. And it says the advisors say the press will have a field day probing into her past if she ran for presidency. As you know right now, Sarah Palin, it was just in the news, has passed, uh, well, several of the leading candidates right now, even though she's not even announced, where they said she could possibly even challenge Romney or Perry right now, Hmm. uh, even though she's not in. And she's just sort of been waiting on the perimeter, and everybody's wondering, is there some strategy? Why is she waiting? This could be another factor, is how this shakes out. And, and I'll have to say, it's not making a lot of waves where I am, uh, but that mean, that doesn't mean that it's true or untrue. Um, it says, uh, sources say Tea Party Darling has been destroyed by tell-all book, uh, and that Todd plans to file for divorce, fed up with white scandals. Um, now, the story says that Sarah Palin could be set to lose both her marriage and her political career after the release of the explosive biography on the Tea Party Darling. The National Enquirer claims that friends close to the politician, her husband, Todd, say he is fed up with the constant scandals that have plagued their marriage ever since she ran for vice president and is ready to file for a divorce. Now, this mentions that National Enquirer followed up on this book. And we all that have grown up with National Enquirer looking in the, you know, in our supermarkets sort of roll our eyes when we hear that and think, uh oh, this is like the guys that came up with Bat Boy or the B-17 on the moon or something, you know. But they were the ones who exposed some of the key political figures that went down when several of the major news, or I say major, because I sort of put all the major news sources in their category anymore. (laughs) But, But these guys actually do investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to sort of wait to see if there's anything true to what they say. But, you know, they, they do have a reputation of actually, and in fact, Matt Drudge talks about that National Enquirer is one of the ones that really do any kind of tangible investigative journalism that's independent. Uh, it says, as well as kissing goodbye to her marriage, it has also been alleged that her advisors have told her to kiss goodbye to the White House, fearing a bid would be political suicide. Uh, the book called In the Rogue, uh, or in uh, the book Rogue, Searching for the Real Sarah Palin, the 47-year-old is accused of having a night of passion with a basketball star, snorting cocaine, and having an affair with her husband's business partner, 
all allegations which are thought to have shattered Palin's White House dream. Now, if any of this is true, it doesn't mean that she necessarily did anything illegal or anything like that. Well, but, starting cocaine is kind well, that, of... Well, no, that, that may be different, but, but you know... <laughs> pretty uh, illegal or yeah, probably right. didn't inhale. You know, things work yeah, over. there you go. Uh, but when you have endeared yourself to the Christian community... And, you know, you've had apostles pray over you in the church and anoint you for this particular role and mm-hmm. really push the Christian thing. I think it does set a different standard. And the thing I wonder, if this any of this is true, and I don't know, but if it is, it sure seems like there's a higher propensity of this kind of behavior that happens with people that are, tend to be leadership in Christian circles, uh, either nationally or like major churches or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. And, again, we'll let our listeners... Sort of look into this, see if there's any truth. What to do it. you mean by higher propensity? Higher occurrence of of uh, caught in indiscretions. Like you were mentioning, uh, Colorado Springs. I thought of Ted Haggart. He He's going to be on White Swap. Yeah, the show White Swap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's trying to restore his Christian reputation. Evidently, yes. well, no, White yeah. Swap. He was the head of the National Association of Evangelicals, yeah. and. Tried to deny some kind of homosexual encounters that it turned were true, and so there were rumors for a long time going on about this, and then. Well, I think you know I don't know that that necessarily Christians would have a higher occurrence or anything like that, but I would say if you're preaching about it all the time, and I didn't say all Christians. Well, but I, mean, I said people in positions of power. Well, it seems like to me, I mean, just subjectively, well, I, there's a high there propensity. What I would say, the reason why I would say it would seem like that way is because um, I would say a lot of Christian speakers or personalities, whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. uh, will preach on everything, whether it is uh, the gospel, whether it's uh, politics. And if you have spoken negatively about somebody, they are going to attack you with whatever they can, and especially on something that you preach to them that you, they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I think you know uh, somebody that is perhaps more liberal. They don't, you know, they don't speak all the time about how you shouldn't, you know, sleep around or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody who's doing it all the time, you know, they're going to go after that person, and mm-hmm. they should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it may be. It may be that they're targeted more, but. Even if they're not national figures, just if they're in a major church in a local community, well, it just and, and, and the reason why I get it, maybe I'm off target here, but it, I think there is a bad system that we have set up, and it's not all completely the cause of the person who falls, even though they're ultimately responsible for their decisions, whether it's a marital infidelity or taking off some money from the church or whatever, because we set up and sort of deify these leaders, even on a local basis. And we set them up and put so much attention on them as a leader that they start believing their own press. And then when a problem happens, instead of confronting them, you'll have people close by that will try to insulate them from it. And so there's a wider blame. And again, none of this may be relevant to to Ms. Palin. And the only thing I would say is when you – I'll share some more details here. If any of this is not true, then she should be suing this person. And, you know, doing it and say, look, this is because this is kind of information he alleges is either it happened or didn't happen. It's not like saying she's a mean person or a nice person. There are incidents that are claimed in here. Um, I I have not read the reviews, but I've heard 
mm-hmm. that the reviews of that book are are pretty negative. Pretty negative in Even terms of him not making his case. Yeah, yeah, people say that it's pretty mean-spirited and uh even people that are oh, I'm, against even I'm sure pe- it's mean-spirited yeah. but even people that are against Palin just say yeah. it's he talked about yeah. her marriage infidelity but he did it so nicely yeah, <laughs> yeah of course yeah. it's well, mean-spirited yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean well, now, you know somebody who's famous for this is kitty kelly yeah, she's yeah. done a lot of those and a lot of times she will use like an insider told me this or a family member and as far as i'm concerned if you don't if you can't give the name of the person there's really not a point in making the case because it yeah. can't be verified. And even the person writing the book can't verify that person's telling the truth. Yeah. If they have a piece of corroborating evidence, that's a different different issue. Um, but anyway, well, again, this may be something that's totally out of lunch, but if it is, I think she needs to do something about it. But you're just not hearing much about this. Uh, what it says here, it says... Um, a source close to the former VP candidate said, Sarah Palin has been destroyed by Joe McGinnis's no-holds-barred biography. It exposed all her lies, cover-ups, and secrets. As a result, she's been told by her advisors there would be political suicide to announce a White House candidacy. The press and her opponents will have a field day digging into the dirty details of her background. Uh, the book is said to have put the final nail in the coffin of her marriage after Sarah's brother Chucky was quoted saying his sister and Todd's marriage was over. It says, a friend told the National Enquirer the final straw of McGinnis quoting Sarah's brother Chucky telling a friend they don't have a marriage. Todd felt as if he was stabbed in the back by his own brother-in-law after 23 years of being married to the guy's sister and having five kids together. It was revealed last week that former basketball player Glenn Rice, I guess he was in the NBA uh, too, had a one-time fling with the Alaska governor when she was a news anchor for her local station, and he was a junior at the University of Michigan. A source told the Inquirer that Todd feels like he's been made a laughingstock as the hookup had become a joke on Light Night TV and was all over uh, the Internet. He also said to be fuming over the biography's confirmation that his wife had an affair with his business partner, Brad Hansen, and that Todd had dissolved their snowmobile de- dealership after learning of it. Uh, though both parties denied it at the time it came to light in October 2008, Palin's ex-brother-in-law Mike Wooten allegedly confirmed it, saying Todd and Sarah were headed for divorce, but Sarah got pregnant soon after, so they decided to stay together. The new book also claims that Palin snorted cocaine off a 55-gallon oil drum and separately smoked marijuana in secret liaisons with one of her college professors. The book's author, Joe McGinnis, moved in next door to the Palins in Alaska to dig dirt for his salacious biography, which that was a big thing when they, when he did that. He moved in. Mm-hmm. In response, Todd Palin slammed the author as a stalker who has a creepy obsession with his wife after details of what was in the book were first leaked. He said, this is a man who's been relentlessly stalking my family to the point of moving right in next door to us to harass us and spy on us to satisfy his creepy obsession with my wife. His book is full of disgusting lies, innuendo, and smears. Even the New York Times called this book dated, petty, and then it chases caustic, unsubstantiated gossip. Mrs. Palin, meanwhile, has been careful to avoid commenting. She allegedly had a... uh, Okay, here's some more details. She allegedly had a tryst with basketball star Glenn Rice in her younger sister Molly's University of Alaska dorm room while she was dating Todd in just nine months before the couple were married. 
Miss Palin got pregnant with Todd, and then they eloped in August 1988. Their son, Track, don't they all have some kind of name like that, Track or Trig or whatever? The oldest of the five was born eight months later in April 1989. So those are the kind of things I would think you could sort of track, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is very interesting if that's true, that that the baby was, I guess it was born in wedlock, maybe conceived prior to wedlock. You would understand how she'd be sympathetic to her daughter, Bristol, maybe making that same mistake. Yeah. You know, if that had happened. Um, but, you know, but those are something you can check. Yeah. You know, it should be a fact. A friend said Miss Palin spent the night with basketball star but could not confirm whether they had sex, according to the National Choir. I remember Sarah feeling pretty good that she'd been with a black basketball star, a a source told the magazine. The athlete is said to have been confirmed. uh, uh, He is said to have confirmed the night of passion in Mr. McGinnis's book. Mr. Rice went on to have a huge career playing in the NBA and was a three-time All-Star. Um... Again, supposedly he has confessed that this has happened. You should be able to find out either, well, you know, that's his reputation, you know. Yeah. I don't know why he would lie about that, but. Uh, uh, maybe because he wants um, interview rights or something. When you're an NBA all-star, is this what you need, you know? If you're Kato Kalen, you know, staying with OJ, I would understand it, you know. Well, I mean. I don't know. I mean, uh, but. Uh, well, it's interesting. It says she would likely make an announcement about uh, you know, running by the end of this month. Uh, she's been overshadowed in recent months by Tea Party candidates, including Michelle Bachman, although she's out polling Bachman right now, from what I've seen. The Republican, who's now associated herself with the Tea Party, uh, has been dogged by scandal since being selected as Senator uh, John McCain's running mate in 2007. There have also been frequent rumors that she is set to divorce her husband, Todd, which have always been denied. She has faced accusations by the father of her daughter's child, Levi Johnson, that she wanted to keep Bristol's pregnancy a secret and adopt the child herself. Palin has yet to declare whether she intends to run for election. Joe McGinnis, 68, has written several political books, including works on former President Richard Nixon and on Alaska. Uh, The book written by Joe McGinnis, released this week, claims Todd, uh, and it goes on from there. So, again, I don't know if you that's true, and I'm not, I don't want to mean to spread gossip, but the fact is it was a pretty big deal. The book came out, and I've heard hardly anything in conservative, even just dismissing it. Have, have you heard much, like Fox News or any of those things, or Christian Radio? Most of what I've heard is from liberal sources. Okay. So, and maybe they think it's even too much. I don't know. I don't know. But I guess the thing is, I, I hope it's not true. I really do hope it's not true. But it's the kind of thing like sometimes where it's smoke, there's fire. Because there's always all these denials. Every one of these times you've had somebody like the Acquire bring this stuff up, whether it's Gary Condit or whether it's, uh, who are, oh, well, who, Anthony Weiner, all these other kind of guys. You know, uh, of course, with Anthony Weiner, they had some pretty hard evidence that <laughs> came up. So it was a little hard for him. To come out of it, but uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just very, very curious. I find it very hard to take Sarah Palin seriously. I mean, I'm, and whether or not a book comes out about our, you know, indiscretions or anything. But the curious thing is, is that she's right near the top of the polls. Amongst conservatives. 
That may be what you think, but she she is newsworthy. Well, I'm I'm not saying she's not newsworthy. I guess. Why do you think she is? Either one of you. I don't think she's newsworthy. Well, I mean, but what does she but, say? No, it's not. You, you don't see her that way, but she has a huge impact on a lot of people. Sure. Why? Are her words simple? Are they sort of sloganish and catch on yeah. and resonate? I was going to say, people to me, that it's way? just a sloganeering sort of thing. It's just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, rah, 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 sis, boom, ba, singing the right things. We're a tea party. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, she couldn't, she didn't know the difference between North and South Korea. You know, that's one reason I couldn't vote for her. But at least she could see Russia from oh. where she, her house was. That's actually Tina Fey, let's be fair. <laughs> No, I thought she... No, no I think that, she said Tina that. Tina Fey said that. Tina, that's been a huge thing. Oh, shame on me if I have that wrong, but I thought that was stimulated because of an offhand comment she made on in an interview. Mm, not, well, she was... She had been interviewed about Russian policy or something like that, and and in the Saturn Live skit, wrong, and she was me. using as evidence of, yeah, I know what's yeah. going on, I can see it. Yeah. From my, well, the line blurs with me, too, just like everybody else on sorting that out, but anyway... I think like Palin probably, and a lot of people like her appeal to people that are afraid of change. And I'm not talking Obama change. I'm just talking change in general. Yeah, uh, orders and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, I mean, cool. just the world changing and, and culture changing, and mm-hmm. just well, that's the definition of conservatism, isn't it? Well. There's conservatism that's rooted in fear. You're conserving. Well, there's conservatism that's rooted in fear, and there's conservatism that's rooted in thought and and uh, consideration. But the thought is still about how to conserve at least values. <clears throat> it's considered tr- traditional, how to retain or conserve what is of value. I... I um... <laughs> And so it would it have a tendency to sort of look back a little bit with rose-colored glasses on the heritage of how one grew up, whether you look at America as a whole or their community or whatever like Mm -hmm. that. And Um, I would say a lot of people, including myself, you just need to really consider, um, you know, if we're going to be conservative, Mm -hmm. what are what are the things that we really need to conserve? What are the core values that are that are worth conserving? Mm-hmm. Or uh, and what is just a um, a I don't the word that's coming to my mind is permutation, but that's not right. But just mm-hmm. a an instance of that value, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because um, I think that's you know again. We talked about the Amish before, you know, they're, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of their principles are good. Simplicity, you know, not, not, uh, going after the, you know, the things of this mm-hmm. world, you know, going after the newest thing. And they've, they've stuck that into, we must drive buggies, you know, you know, mm-hmm. not use modern technology instead of saying, you know what, I don't need the BMW. I don't mm-hmm. need, you know, gold-plated rims. I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need more than yeah. What yeah, I need, yeah you know, yeah. but you know what? All of that stuff, you, we don't have to like envision whether you're just a regular garden variety conservative or Amish, or whatever. Some kind of golden age, 
and say, we want to go back and recreate that golden age. I, I like nostalgia. I like movies from the 60s. I like the music and that kind of stuff. But they say you can't go back. And even though I enjoy that kind of stuff, I recognize it's almost like a escapism. Yeah. Because the fact is I live in today. And if something is true, I don't have to go to extra effort to try to go back and recreate some kind of mythical golden age and recreate it today, even if it was something from my youth. If the fact it's true, it should be timeless. It shouldn't be associated with an error. I should yeah. just live in accordance with truth, even in the way with the Amish. I shouldn't have to go like wear the kind of suspenders they had and look just like what's in the photo of the guy that before. The, the fact that simplicity is uh, is virtuous, that um, um, plainness and not being gaudy is virtuous. That's not something that was just true of that era. It's just something that's true. Yeah. So I don't have to go recreate their era or conserve any of that. I just need to be what's true. Yeah. And I think. And that's why the the whole slogan or term conservative, although I sort of know what it means. There's a lot of other bad that comes with it because what happens is you always get the rats that come along with the food that's preserved, you know. It's all mixed in there. Yeah. And I would say almost every generation sort of has to go look and, and look at truth and yeah. say, what's truth where I am? But, you know, it's just me. Well, I mean, people need to uh, stop. I mean, stop voting for political parties just blindly and Amen. vote your positions individually. You mean wasting your vote? Yeah. You're going to be wasting your vote. Yeah. You know what Janet Parshall said, the, the leader of the Christian radio station, she said it's unbiblical for you not to vote for one of those two parties. It's against the Bible. It's in, uh, it's in there somewhere. No, I would, I would, she said I would that in World Net Daily. Have, I would love to hear the evidence. Well, she said that in World Net Daily and on the John Ankerberg show. So, well, well. so I was unbiblical last time. And I probably will be unbiblical this time. Well, I mean, I would personally think if if you have a a candidate that you're voting for that votes the party line, you should not vote for him. Or you know, and that you have the opportunity mm-hmm. to vote for, you should not vote for him. That would purpose. That would for me. That would be a candidate that I would not consider. That is a candidate mm-hmm. without morals. Well, you know, if you keep voting in people like this because they're the the least evil, what are you going to get the next time to vote? The same kind of person. They're going to respond to whatever we say. Hey, everybody picked John McCain. Everybody got behind him. Well, I think that's what Mitt Romney wants to be, another John McCain. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Tom, you got your story over there to lay on us? Got us a good story, man. You were meditating over there? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's sort of no end. Sorry I brought the... the, I was lowbrow with that story. I didn't mean to be. Yeah, I know. It's like Goofy Quake or something. Thanks. I appreciate that. that, yeah. that I'm compliment. here for you. I'm here for you. Uh, this is like sort of like Bravo television, you know, <laughs> version of Future Quake. Yeah. Okay. You need to be more like uh, Terry Gross. And Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Tom, let us in on the story. Crocking, mate. Tell us a rousing sea chanty. Oh, very good. Very good, old boy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I went with kind of like a like a Terminator 2 sort of sort of flair here. I've got several stories about like I, I refer to it only halfway joking called the Clone Wars, the you White know, Wars, the Clone Wars. Oh, okay. Uh, we've got we've got the U.S. being the main purveyor, like building secret drone bases, flying all these things with okay. robots that kill people all over the place everywhere. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, uh, several mm. several stories, and this is one. Pick I one. I've got one here. It's right here. Lay it on. I'm just trying to, okay, just laying it on. No, Spit it. No introduction. It just goes. Yeah. U.S. assembling secret drone bases in Africa, Arabian Peninsula, officials say. The Obama administration is assembling a constellation of secret drone bases for counterterrorism, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, operations in the Horn of Africa and the Arabian Peninsula as part of a newly aggressive campaign to attack al-Qaeda affiliates in Somalia and Yemen uh, and to uh, safeguard oil, U.S. officials said. That last part I put in there. Uh, one of the installations is being established in Ethiopia, which is always interesting because they never ha- have any shortage of crazy stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a U.S. ally in the fight against al-Shabaab, uh, the Somali militant group that controls much of that country. Another base is in Seychelles, an archipelago in the Indian Ocean, where a small fleet of hunter-killer drones resumed operations this month, month after an experimental mission demonstrating demonstrated that the unmanned aircraft could effectively patrol Somalia from there. Mm -hmm. The U.S. military has also flown drones over Somalia and Yemen from bases in Djibouti, a tiny African nation at the junction of the Red Sea and the Gulf of Adan. In addition, the CIA is building a secret airstrip in the Arabian Peninsula so it can deploy armed drones over Yemen. Basically, the advantage the armed drones give... They can do everything they could have done when they used to use airplanes and stuff, mm-hmm. but they don't have to go through this whole touchy kind of thing about a president talking to Congress. And mm-hmm. you know, the president used to be able to get it by with it for a while. And eventually, he'd have to at least talk to him. Now we don't even expect him to declare war when we attack people. So with the drone army, they just their playground. They can do whatever they want. It doesn't get sticky. Exactly. Nobody's complaining about anything. We'll just you know do it. It's it's interesting. It it. It involves another. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research into ethics, you know, just sort of why mm-hmm. why things are good and bad, especially moral arguments and whatnot. And it's interesting to see the moral implications of, like, getting killed by a robot. You know, mm-hmm. you got a dude playing a joystick at the end of the you know mm-hmm. thing, going, "Oh, here it is! Oh, the red little red button, just like it was when I played Xbox 360. Button yeah. dead explosion. I can go home and have a sandwich." Mm-hmm. 30 minutes ago. In fact, there was an article. I, I didn't get a chance to look for it, but there's a great article about this. I might have. I, it was in my stack to do Future mm-hmm. Quake, just one of those you never get yeah. to. This guy talked about how awesome it was that he was he could be flying, he could be flying and blowing people away in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, and then 45 minutes later sitting down to dinner with his family. He's like, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah. You know. Um, so there's an interesting ethical. A huge yeah, ethical we don't pay any price, no sacrifice. Yeah, you, you know when when you're fl- when you turn around flying back after that, you don't have to see any kind of collateral impact. Even if the guy was a bad guy, mm-hmm. okay, and he, even though it's probably you know if you don't declare war, it's probably against a whole lot of international laws to be doing this mm-hmm. instead of bringing the guy to justice. Exactly. So you do that, but then you have all these collateral injuries, and the drone doesn't stay around to watch that. It doesn't stay around to watch the funerals. The drone doesn't care. Or I mean, or the person's flying it. They don't. Yeah. They don't hover around and watch the funeral or the mothers that come out for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, even pilots of airplanes went through a major dilemma because they recognized in World War II when they were firebombing those cities and stuff. You can't really see it. All that stuff was going on down there, but it still haunted them. I mean, not not the guys who were really really enjoying the uh, war stuff, but the 
the guys who you know who still had a little bit of a soul. Howard Zinn credits uh, uh, he was a he was a bombardier on an on a you know B twenty B seventeen one one a bombing a bombing uh, airplane multiple person bombing plane, and uh, they bombed a small town where uh, a bunch of German special forces were holed up right at the end yeah. of the war. I mean, everybody knew the war was over. Nobody was shooting at anybody. Yeah. They were just waiting to sign the papers and that kind of thing. He said, we're bombing this town. And uh, he remembers looking down through the yeah. through the thing. It was the first, it was the, like the first really experimental use of napalm. Yeah. And he said it was just horrible because he could see the glow, like, yeah. in the tail, like, you know, in the tail gunner sort of thing yeah. all the way yeah, back. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and there were people in there. Yeah, there. there were just hundreds of hundreds of people just well, burning. Because of this discussion, I'm going to move up a story I had buried in mind and move it up to the top. This would be sort of interesting. But mm-hmm. go on, lay on the rest of you got what you got okay. there. Okay. Uh, the U.S. government is known to have used drones to carry out lethal attacks in at least six countries. Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Pakistan, Somalia, and Yemen, possibly even the United States. I added that last part. The negotiations that preceded the establishment of the base in the Republic of Seychelles illustrate the efforts the United States is making to broaden the range of its drone weapons. The island nation of 85,000 people has hosted a small fleet of MQ-9 Reaper drones operated by the U.S. Navy and Air Force since September of 2009. Uh, The U.S. and Seychelles officials have previously acknowledged the drone's presence, but have said that their primary mission was to track pirates in regional waters. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. Um, but classified U.S. diplomatic cables show that the unmanned aircraft have also conducted counterterrorism missions over Somalia, about 800 miles to the northwest. Mm-hmm. The cables obtained by the anti-secrecy group WikiLeaks reveal that U.S. officials asked leaders in the Seychelles uh, to keep the counterterrorism mission secret, the Reapers are described by the military as hunter-killer drones because they can be equipped with Hellfire missiles and satellite-guided bombs. To allay concerns among islanders, the U.S. officials just blew them all up. I just added that last yeah, part. thank you. U.S. officials said they had no plans to arm the Reapers when the mission was announced two years ago. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. The cables show, however, that the U.S. officials were thinking about weaponizing the drones, even though they had no plans. Mm-hmm. During a meeting with State Chile's President James Michel on September 18, 2009, American diplomats said the U.S. government would seek discreet, specific discussions to gain approval to arm Reapers should the desire to do so ever arise, according to a cable summarizing the meeting. Mm. Nice. Michelle concurred, but asked U.S. officials to approach him exclusively for mi- permission and not anyone else, quote-unquote, in his government, the cable reported. <sighs> mm-hmm. It's just with like... A, it's with like, a big roll of cash with it. Yeah. Well, uh, I had another story on that the same island chain that, uh, just like we do in Afghanistan or wherever else, the government, uh, the military people there are rolling out major, major money to the locals. Mm-hmm. Like they're paying ridiculous sums of money for every service and everything is a way to buy this all. And, of course, it's not their money. It's our money. It's taxpayer money. They're just spending like drunken sailors mm-hmm. um, because it gets what they want. And money talks. Yep. And people will sell out their, their neighbor for money yep. in any of these countries. Lieutenant Commander James D. Stockton, a public affairs officer for the U.S. Africa Command, which oversees the base in Seychelles, mm-hmm. said... 
Because of operational security concerns, I can't get into specifics. He noted, however, that the MQ-9 Reapers can be configured for both surveillance and strike. Spokesman for Michelle said the president was unavailable for comment because he was too busy counting his said big roll of cash. Um, now, is that your addition there? Yeah, I just, I can't take it, man. It's like the people blowing up the world and stuff and, yeah. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, with your money. Yep. The operation of the drones in Seychelles for the purpose of counter-piracy surveillance and other related activities has always been unarmed, and the U.S. government has never asked us for them to be armed. Adam, uh, mm-hmm. who is a Jean-Paul Adam, who's Michelle's mm-hmm. chief deputy in 2009, he's a minister of foreign affairs, um, they said that a media day for about 30 journalists, the small one-runway one airport in Victoria... Mm-hmm. Uh, they held it in 2009, and uh, they just go on and on, and they're only dropping love bombs on yeah. people, apparently. Yeah. Love bombs. Mm-hmm. Flowers. Well, thank you for sharing they that hit the, They hit the I mean, fire button, and, and like, flowers shoot. The dr- the, this drone thing is nothing new. It's just that it's just growing. It's mm-hmm. just growing and becoming a bigger deal. You got something there, Emmett? Uh, did you read your story, or were you well, just summarizing No, it? I've got something that... Made me think of what you were talking about when we were talking Love about bombs. Bomba. But I can I can wait or well I'll just say one thing you know related yeah. to it all you know also I think um, you know you'd mentioned how using the drones prevents them from having to go to Congress and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a bomb everybody love each other and I'm sure everybody knows this but uh, the way the government's been using contractors mm-hmm. over there it, it hides the death toll for our own citizens right it uh, and it just really hides the amount of uh, forces in the locations, you know, at the different battlefronts. and um, We use private forces, and we also get local tribe groups to do our work for us. Yeah. Who knows if any of that data is recorded on either side, yeah. casualties on either side. You get a chieftain, and you basically hire them to go do it against, you know, their rival. Yeah. And the cynical person in me, this is, there's no well, evidence. Good, good thing there's none of that here. The... the uh, of the American industries, can you think of anything other than defense contractors where most of the product is made in the United States? I mean, in terms of mm-hmm. it's such a boon for the economy. War is good for our economy in the United States because that's... Well, you know, the the Air Force always had this reputation that the Navy... This I'm, I'm giving you a little inside review, okay, from people who work in the Defense Department. The Navy was always considered to be sort of the most insidious as far as like being secretive and stuff like that in general, conniving. But the Air Force was the one that they always got mad at for getting a lot of money because they would quickly classify something. And most of the time when stuff is classified is not because they worry about the enemy getting it. It's because there is stuff that the American public would be upset if they knew about it. And that is usually what happens when things are classified. They don't want to see what the American public would do. Or, you know, auditors or anybody else like that, you know, that, that does it as well. So, um, But what I was going to mention is one of the things that a couple of contractors working for the Air Force figured out on the F-22, which was this big, great big new fighter jet that was to fight the Soviet Union. It would be the big thing. Of course, the Soviet Union didn't cooperate with us. And when they dissolved, there was no need for this hyper or supersonic, perpetual supersonic airplane. But that didn't mean we don't build it. That's right. And what they did was 
they figured out how to split up the airplane to be built in a majority of states, some part of it, so they could get the politicians from all the majority of states to all agree in Congress to vote for it. Rather than having like three or four major places do yeah. it, they, they got the wisdom to parse it up. And so nobody's going to vote against that. I mean, you're going to go back to your constituents and say, I voted against something built here just because it didn't make sense for our country. And the military doesn't want it even? Yeah, military, yeah. So, you know, just ingenious. Yeah. And how, you know, how are you going to stop that? Unless you have some kind of visionary leadership that's willing to serve one term, you know. But it goes back to the people. If the people would not be so selfish and vote in somebody who's just bringing home the bacon for, to their district, ultimately falls in the people's hands. You go elect people that do that kind of stuff, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. They're a reflection of the people. So, did you want to read a story or did you want me to read something coming on him? You read your story. You sure? Okay. Yeah. Well, this, this, I brought this from deep in the stack. This wasn't like near the top, but it was related to what we were talking about when, um, when you're dropping bombs from way up in the air, it's much easier to be decoupled from the, the magnitude of what you're doing taking life. And if it's, if, for example, if you're doing trench warfare or hand to hand combat, you're much, much more aware that you're taking a human life. And it just turns out this week, uh, there was a famous person who was talking about that topic, um, and Tony Bennett, of all people, the uh, famous singer. Um, it says here, this is an ABC News, it says, American icon Tony Bennett took to the airwaves at Sirius Radio to promote his new album, Duets 2. But it's what he said about war, peace, terrorism, and who was to blame for September 11th terror attacks that got people talking. Sitting down with Howard Stern on Monday, the 85-year-old singer dodged questions about his sex life and prior drug use. He did so with a laugh, but matters about the U.S. military and 911 were fair game. And on these topics, the Grammy winner held little back. Beginning with his service in World War II, Bennett said that his experiences as a teenager in combat forever changed his position on war. He says, I'm anti-war, he said. It's the lowest form of human behavior. Drafted by the U.S. Army in November 1944, Bennett served as an infantryman in Europe, moving across France and later into Germany. He says, the Germans were frightened. We were frightened. Nobody wanted to kill anybody when we were on the line. Germans or Americans. But the weapons were so strong that it overcame us and everyone else. Bennett also credited the Army with allowing him to study singing under the GI Bill. He also admitted that his two years of service gave him enough time to witness the horrors of war. He says, the first time I saw a dead German, that's when I became a pacifist, he said. He told Stern that he was left forever shaken by the sight of death. It was a nightmare that's permanent, he said. I just said, this is not life. This is not life. Bennett, 65. Of course it's not. It's death. Now, and you know, General Boykin right. would probably want to smack him sort of like Patton did, you know. Yeah. You know, how dare you not embrace our culture of death in America, you know, and be a patriot. Um, he says, Bennett, 65 years after leaving his military life behind, has sold over 50 million albums and developed definite opinions about other wars involving the United States. He says to start a war in Iraq was a tremendous, tremendous mistake internationally, he said. Stern then asked Bennett about how America should deal with terrorists. This gets even more interesting. Specifically those responsible for the 2001 attack on the World Trade Center. But who are the terrorists? Are we the terrorists or are they the terrorists? 
Far out. Two wrongs don't make a right, Bennett said. In a soft-spoken voice, the singer disagreed with Stern's premise that 911 terrorist actions led to U.S. military involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan. They flew the plane in, but we caused it, Bennett responded, because we were bombing them and they told us to stop. So the same thing Ron Paul said. Uh, which, by the way, Barry Manilow now has come out officially for Ron Paul. I didn't know you all knew that. Barry Manilow. While we're speaking of crooners. Okay. It says, following seconds of silence, Stern said that his guest was... He actually got Stern to shut up. Isn't that amazing? It's a record. He said that his guest was making some good points. Before leaving, Bennett recalled an evening in 2005 when he was honored at the Kennedy Center. Meeting President George W. Bush at the event... The singer said that the commander-in-chief shared his opinion about the Iraq war. He told me personally that night, he said, he says, I think I made a mistake. That's, that's George W. talking. Bennett believed that the president made this revelation because he had a special liking to me. So, anyway, that's Tony Bennett. I heard that. I read portions of... Uh of his interview. I mean, you know, he may have left his heart in San Francisco, but he left his innocence on the battlefield, evidently. Yeah. Left a whole bunch of carnage, too, sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There right. is. I mean, it's, that's, that's sort of unavoidable on a battlefield. Though. Right. But when you're 85 or so years old, I guess you can just sort of tell people the way you think it is. Yeah. There you go. I know. So, anyway, there you go. Well, I think... Uh, okay, this is embarrassing. But uh, I'm reading the Carnegie book, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do it with a rifle. Well, that's not how he says. Well, we could could read that because we're very poorly at that. But, uh, you know, one of the things he points out, you know, if you criticize somebody, they're going to be more apt to defend their argument rather than to, you know, consider what they could have done wrong or better. And I think probably... um, it's interesting to hear that Bush would say something like that to him. And I believe he did say that to him. Yeah. And then you got the same time you hear, um, Dick Cheney on TV, mm-hmm. you know, any moment he has, he will defend the decisions they made to his death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even go after people who had any criticism like Colin Powell or Condoleezza Rice. Yeah. He's just basically torn them apart because they had some hesitancy. Yeah. You know, all right, so, very interesting. You got something to share with us? Well, um, I printed off some articles based on something I saw on TV before, and you guys are probably not going to be surprised by this, and I'm not even going to read the article. I'll just tell you what I saw, okay, and then sure. I'll get back up on it. But uh, I was actually watching some Huckabee the other day on TV, mm-hmm. flipping through the channels or whatever, and I heard... It's like a substitute for listening to Future Quake, isn't it? If you miss Future Quake, you just listen to Huckabee. It was one of those very weak moments yeah. in my life. I, you know, I've never really had much against Mike Huckabee. I know you guys have well some strong opinions on him. You know, him. one thing I'll give him credit for, he, he has some people that are very, very different on his show. Mm-hmm. And he's very disarming to them. People from, like, the hard left. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a lot I disagree with Mike Huckabee. Uh, but he's very good at disarming people like that. So I give him you know credit where it's due. But... Uh, I was very shocked to hear him say that that basically Israel should be actively settling 
in the Palestinian territories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, we should do it until, you know, the peace right. process has ended. Interesting. Well, you're closer where you can kill them. Yeah. Because God wants them to be, all be killed, all those Palestinians. Well, I tried to think of it positively today. I mean, I was driving down the road. How could this be a positive if they're building their settlements there? If they left them there when they left. You know, we built a whole wonderful subdivision for you to live in, complete with mm-hmm. protective walls from us. And uh, I, don't yeah, I don't think, try to think I don't think that's going to work. You don't think, you don't think they're going to bulldoze it down uh-huh. when they leave? Because those folk aren't human beings. And if you listen to our media, I mean, you know, I've been a prophecy buff for three decades. And when you do that, you become a very, very hardcore, secular nation of Israel supporter. And all of the media that comes through that, that evangelical circle, evangelical, uh, is all sort of pre-chewed in a certain direction. I didn't even know what Hezbara meant. I didn't know that it was a premeditated thing to sort of manipulate evangelicals. That it was so formal. I mean, I was so gullible. I didn't really understand, you know. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even question. Now I'm at the point where I question everything that comes in. Maybe I should more. I, I should do it even more. But, um, but there was, you know, th- those people been dehumanized so much. And the fact is, the the more that this stuff happens to them, the more we we pile on not only their suffering but even blaming them for it. Yeah. And and I'll be granted, I don't understand a lot of, like, the the leaders they pick, you know. Why do they pick some of these people? But then again, all I hear about these other groups are what I'm told by this set of people who already have an agenda already that are telling me. You know, I didn't know until recently that Hamas was really established by the Israeli government. I didn't know that Hamas was done but to, to try to counteract the secular, not the religious, but the secular independence movement of the PLO and Fatah. And that Hamas was built up to do that, to provide a balance of power through pan-Islamism, just like British intelligence and then us did the Muslim Brotherhood. That changes everything, once you understand that. You know. Well, I mean, partly, I'm probably going to get on some kind of watch list now for saying this, but... Uh, well, welcome aboard, man. Yeah, but I mean, like, <laughs> to me, terrorism list. is is just an outgrowth of just armed superpowers. If you have a power that can knock you down with everything they do, what are you going to do? You're going to start doing what you can do, which is terrorism. Des- desperation. Yeah, yeah desperation. Yeah. And it, well, let, let, can I clarify that a little bit? I, I would just say one step further. When you see the kids throwing stones at tanks, I think that's the desperation we're talking about. But when you see like these big mega terror attacks, history says that they're done by state sponsors. They're done by the people, and, and, and Brother Thomas pointed this out, you know, because it's sort of his area of study. These kind of terrorist events that actually cause large loss of life and things like this to civilians, almost every time they've been traced, they're not the group that it's blamed on. You want to hear something? Because it makes no sense for them to do that. It doesn't achieve any of their political objectives to further enrage the public against their side. And every one of those times, you find out it's the state sponsor, you know, that's supposedly the victim, is the one that's actually executing it to blame and to blankroll. And just like Gladio, I mean, basically did that against communists, and they admit it. I had, I I stopped over at Starbucks. I had the craziest sort of run in there. 
That mm-hmm. place that place is like a hub of like nutty conversations for me. Maybe it's because <laughs> I don't get out much. I don't know. Um, but I'm sitting there. I, I wish sit, I got out that I, much. You know, I was sitting. I was sitting there and I was logged on the computer, drink a little coffee, and I look up and the dude sitting across from me has got a special forces hat on, and uh, he's an older gentleman. And I ask him. I said, he looks at me and I'm looking at his hat and I said, pardon me for staring. I'm just uh, looking at your hat. He's, I said, were you in the special forces? He said, yeah, back in 1953. I said, really? How interesting. Boy, I'll bet, I'll bet you and I would have a lot to talk about. And uh, we talked some more, and uh, he was like the uh, the first sort of contingent of special forces troops. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I said, what? He said, uh, he said, you know, I, I don't, you know, we would, I asked him what his battalion and stuff was, and he told me, and I said, mm-hmm. I'd never heard of those. And he said, yeah, well, we weren't, we weren't allowed to, to really wear anything that uh, signified us as anything special in our uniforms. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, our first mission was actually uh, to go and uh, overthrow governments in Eastern Europe. I said, really? Mm-hmm. How interesting. That happens to be a specialty of mine. <laughs> um, have you, were you ever involved in anything called Gladio? Let me see. This is here in Nashville. You're having this discussion. Yeah, yeah. I got his card and everything, man. Okay. Like, Extended discussion with this gentleman at yeah. some later date. Okay. But uh, I talked with him for 15, 20 minutes. He he said, no, uh, I'd never heard of Gladio, which doesn't surprise me. Um, I should I can't remember what Gladio's name was in um, in Germany. Yeah. But uh, um, but if he reads a little bit of it, he can contact you and say, oh, yeah, I know those people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I should have asked him some questions. Did you ever meet? Yeah. Like, did you ever meet... Uh, uh, um, I can't remember those two uh. guys. Those well, two what Germans. did he? What did he elaborate further? Well, we talked a bunch, and uh, he said his his job essentially was to f- to be dropped into Eastern European countries. Mm-hmm. He said him and his unit, everybody spoke fluent German with the right accent to wherever mm-hmm. they were going. Yeah. They were trained for months, just yeah, you know, physically and mentally and and language, and uh, they were they were airdropped into Soviet countries speaking fluent German to overthrow these countries. Now, when was this? What period? 1953. Okay. And uh, we talked some more. He's actually a pastor in the area. Okay. And uh, he he seemed very very overall very proud of his um, job. But when the communists did that overthrow, that was like really really bad, wasn't it? Didn't we say that that wasn't right for them to interrupt their sovereignty and do well, that? Well, it's yeah, you know, it's it's an ethical it's an ethical dilemma. I got his I got his card. And he said, "Oh, you're a pastor. Boy, we would have a lot to talk about." Yeah. And he said, "Yeah." Uh, back then I was saving souls, and now I'm just saving souls a different way. All right. So. Huh. It's an interesting, interesting, interesting way to look at uh, it. And, you one know. bombing at a time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> huh. But he said he said his career was cut a little bit short because during a during an airdrop he broke his leg. Yeah. And they 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 kind of booted him out. They said you know we can't you know. They got him to wherever. They smuggled him out of the country, and mm-hmm. they they said, "Well, you can, we can't have you being all gimpy." Right. You know, so right. back in the re- regular military, you go desk job. I'll be the name. Well, these days we live in. If you get behind a pulpit, you can fight the same war a lot of times. Yeah. You're just doing the morale. It's almost like a war bond uh, tour, except you do it behind the pulpit. You know, mm-hmm. selling the same message. You know, back to what you were saying, Emmett, um, about these acts of desperation. You know, I was mentioning this that most of these big operations are state-sponsored, but sometimes they have a uh, 
they have a, um, what do you call it, a patsy, stool pigeon, who is a person who thinks that they're doing this thing in desperation and it's leading, you know, like they're setting up a bomb or whatever like that. But their money just comes from somewhere. They'll have some contact if somebody does it. And when you go trace that, that's where you start finding who the kingpins are, all this. And and even the less less dramatic, you know, you see that with a lot of Christians. Very very well meaning Christians. Uh do um, things that are being promoted by by uh controlling hands that they're not even aware of. Yeah. Well, I'm working on a book on that. And uh, the history, if you look at the history of how our pulpits have been used to sell all sorts of wars in the history of our country, to, to justify slavery, to go look in the Bible and figure out why slavery was justified, or, you know, separate races, or massacring Indians, that stuff was largely sold in our pulpits. Yeah. Uh. An aside, I was walking through downtown Nashville this week, and I was walking by the uh, Capitol. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a number of monuments, and um, there was one of uh, an individual named Carmack. I believe his first name was Edward. I'd never heard of the guy, you know, so I'm... He wasn't the one Johnny Carson played, the Magnificent. No, 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 no. But uh, if you're bored, look up just, you know, in yeah. the internet, Carmack, Tennessee. I, I th- think it's the first name was Edward, but he, there's a... Wikipedia entry about yeah. him, and uh, what noble things did he do? Uh, basically, he was an extreme racist and yeah. uh, encouraged lynchings and stuff like that. And in his honor, we have a statue. Oh, awesome! Next to the Capitol. Well, nobody's perfect, man. I mean, you know. well, I, I mean, well, you know, we had a former head of Vanderbilt University that helped found the KKK. Yeah. I... It, it it floors me that they have a statue. I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, about from this guy. I, I, uh, you know, Jackson and some of the other people that you know people maybe you know have questionable feelings about. There were there were positive things that I could yeah. identify about him. Yeah. I was not able to read anything really positive about this man other than he was influential yeah. and was a bigot. <laughs> yeah, and had the and right had a lot friends. Of money. And had yeah had a lot of money and probably the right friends that could put a good spin in the press. Right. Yeah, and actually I think that one of the article I think the Wikipedia article talked about how mm-hmm. one of the reasons why they think his statue is there is because he was murdered near there in a duel, and uh, that it was so spectacular and you know made the news. It was the O.J. Simpson story yeah, yeah, of the day yeah. kind of thing, and they that was you know. I don't want to say positive thing about him, but that was right, the most right. non-negative thing I heard about him, really. Right, right, right. And then he stopped. Well, you know, we have another statue downtown of a worldwide religious figure who, uh, according to my initial reading, you know, had some of his crusades bankrolled by the CIA on his payroll. But, you really? know, that's for another day. We'll, we'll share about that on, a, on, a, on another show. Big There's still research deal. going on. Going on on that. Uh, do we have another story either one of you two want to do? If not, I have I've got so one. many stories, I don't know what to do with them all. Got the Clone Wars going on here, point by point. What do you have? Well, I've got something sort of different, if you like to cleanse yeah, the time a little bit. Yeah. It's a short one. Okay. Uh, let's just switch over from, from Drones and War to Johnny Erickson Tata. How about that? Yeah. Okay, you know who Johnny is, you know. A lot of respect for her. Yeah. Uh, 
Johnny Erickson taught it dismayed by Robertson Alzheimer's remarks. Okay. This is in Christian News uh, Online. Christian Post. Okay. It says, uh, Robertson, uh, this, this is, you know, um, Pat Robertson, chairman of the Christian Broadcasting Network, is now embroiled in a firestorm he unwittingly created when he advised viewers of the 700 Club that they would be justified in divorcing a spouse afflicted with Alzheimer's disease. What do y'all think about that? Um, uh, I think that's awesome that he would just come right out and say that stuff. <laughs> on Thursday, John. Good going. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Erickson Tata, founder and chief executive officer of Johnny and Friends International Disability Center, a Christian-based organization in Agoura Hills, California, issued a statement condemning Robertson's remarks. Mm-hmm. Tata, just come right out, say it. Yeah. Tata was dismayed, she said, that the host of CBN's most popular program, and you know, one of the leading presidential candidate not that long ago, you know, and really? evangelicals yeah. body. Oh yeah, he was, I think, finished second in New Hampshire or something like that. I believe uh, was that uh, that he suggested Alzheimer's disease is a kind of death that makes it morally acceptable to dispose of an afflicted husband or wife. When a Christian leader views marriage on a sliding scale, what does this say to the millions of couples who must deal daily with catastrophic injuries and illnesses, Tata said. Robertson's latest controversial remark came in response to a viewer who related that a friend whose wife had Alzheimer's was bitter at God and seeing another woman. The 700 Club host told the viewer that his friend should divorce and start over while arranging adequately for his disposed wife. Okay, so divorce is Alzheimer's wife. He says, I certainly wouldn't put a guilt trip on you if you decided that you had to have companionship, Robertson said. You're lonely. Tata, a disability advocate and quadriplegic herself, strongly disagreed. Alzheimer's disease is never an accident in a marriage, she said. It falls under the purview of God's sovereignty. In the case of someone with Alzheimer's, this means God's unconditional and sacrificial love has an opportunity to be more gloriously displayed in a life together. Uh, Johnny and Friends, which Tata began in 79, offers Christ-centered programs and services to help meet both the spiritual and practical needs of disabled people and their families. Uh, she says, we encounter thousands of couples who, despite living with serious disabling conditions, showcase the grace of God and their weakness every day. Uh, one prominent brain expert wonders if Robertson himself has mental health issues. The hallmark... <laughs> okay. Which is interesting. This is this is the guy who actually works with uh, Saddleback Church and uh, and and the pastor out there, you know, on this new Daniel plan. He mm. says uh, the hallmark of a good brain, Doctor Daniel Amen told the Christian Post, is to have forethought, judgment, and empathy. So he's questioning Robertson's brain. Robertson's on-air comments showed such bad judgment, said Amen a best-selling author who is currently helping Saddleback Church in Orange County with a year-long health campaign. You know, their new age movement that they have. He says, I wonder about his brain. So I kind of wonder about it too, man. There you go. It's so, it's so interesting that Christianity, uh, uh, at least from, you know, extrapolating from Pat Robertson's remarks, Christianity to him has become, well, when the going gets tough, just sort of, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Like almost like start, just sort of invent, make a, it up. Be a strong Christian yeah. until it's not going to be. Well, un, until you can sort of pick your own ethic. If I can try to stretch some way and not to justify what he said, which is wrong, but to try to stretch, to try to find some benefit of the doubt, he is right that a spouse who has a spouse who's gone, so let's say early onset Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. does feel a tremendous sense of loneliness. Like of they've lost their spouse but you know what? and aloneness and that kind of thing. But there are other ways to try to deal with that aloneness other than divorcing your spouse. Yeah. There are other ways to deal with it. I, th- I think the comments about his brain are probably true. I mean, he is... Yeah, he was the same guy who was implicated in running blood diamonds for profit. Well, you got to be pretty same, sharp to do that. He was the to, same guy who was implicated of hiring staff members who were involved knee-deep in the Iran-Contra affair in the 80s. That's pretty, pretty sophisticated. Well, I mean, that that's a... It's, a, you know, it's dirty Pat and unethical, was, but... Pat Robertson has been, for me, is an example of someone that has blended Christianity and Republicanism into one thing inappropriately. But at the same time... And then took it off over the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I do, you know, he is pretty elderly. And he, I don't watch yeah. his show, but I have noticed that... So you, guy that sort of looks like him, which I'm assuming is his son. You're, you're trying to be kind, yeah, in saying maybe is, which which actually I have wondered about that about um, um, Billy Graham too, because Billy Graham has said some things that absolutely shocked me in interviews for the last decade. Yeah, and I wondered if somehow, if he was either revealing what he really thought and he just had his guard down, or if he really is just losing contact and is being influenced by the interviewee, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But if that's the case, then loved ones need to tell somebody to stand aside. Yeah. And, and they may not. Their ego may be so big after that time they may not. But I would say, you know, if he has a character flaw related to this issue, it's probably the pride yeah. of feeling that he needs to continue on doing what he's doing. I would say for about three years, Brother Thomas told me that, that I have gotten to that stage and I have refused him for three years. So it, it, I've been saying it to myself for four, and I've only been on the show for three. He wants to be have the show. Hey, I had my head examined. I, I actually went to Minneapolis to the Mu- Museum of Questionable Medical Devices, and I have a picture that I, sh- I should put it on the website that shows me having my head examined. And actually, I got a printout from this an old 1920s phrenology machine with all these little levers that feel the bumps on your head. And I forgot even what its diagnosis of me was, but well, I did have that done. I actually, I, a few years ago, I had some headaches and stuff. So mm-hmm. I had actually had some CAT scans and everything and MRIs of mm-hmm. various, about three or four. Yeah. And it uh, turns out my brain is large. but We knew that. The area that's large is the part that's related to uh, coordination and motor function. Oh, which I think is interesting because I'm the least coordinated person I have ever met. So you're not like Daredevil or something like that, as far as you no, acrobatic. I'm maybe like Carol Burnett hitting the ground. Carol. Or <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mr. Magoo. Some kind of pratfall king. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, interesting. Okay, gentlemen, you got a story here for us. We're probably getting the last. If we're going to have some emails, maybe the last ten minutes or so. All right. Uh, you, you, you know, uh, our, our our friend Emmett here has really messed us up, Tom, because I think we went through 12 stories last week. Yeah, yeah I've, we, I've got like three here I on the I've floor. Two, yeah. Sorry. 
And I think I sort of cheated on rotation, too. Oh, well, I'm going to take... I'll, I'll steal the spotlight. Go for it. Here's another one. A future for drones. Automated killing. Are you like all drone week or something? That's is what this, I said. It was going to be is like... Is like Shark a, Week a week on Discovery the Channel? Wars. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't I say it's going to be like a week of the Clone Wars here? Well, uh, just don't keep droning on about it. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, you're within my radius of kill zone here, so, you know. Not for this strike. Mm-hmm. Um, a future for drones. Automated killing. This comes from the Washington Post. Okay. It's by Peter Finn. One afternoon last fall at Fort Benning, Georgia, two model-sized planes took off, climbed to 800 and 1,000 feet, and began crisscrossing the military base in search of an orange, green, and blue tarp. The automated, unpiloted planes worked on their own with no human guidance, no hand on any control. After 20 minutes, one of the aircraft, carrying a computer that processed image from an onboard camera, zeroed in on the tarp and contacted the second plane, which flew nearby and used its own sensors to examine the colorful object. Then one of the aircraft signaled to an unmanned car on the ground so it could take a final close-up look. Target confirmed. This successful exercise in autonomous robotics could presage the future of the American way of war, a day when drones hunt, identify, and kill the enemy based on calculations made by software, not decisions made by humans. Uh, imagine aerial terminators minus beefcake and time travel. Funny. The Fort Benning tarp is rather simple. Is a rather simple target, but I think of it as a surrogate," said Charles E. Pippin, a scientist at the Georgia Tech Research Institute, uh, which developed the software to run the demonstration. You can imagine a real-time scenario where this, where you have ten of these happening things happening in the air. Something is happening on the ground, and you just don't have time for humans to say. I need you to do these tasks. It needs to happen faster than that. The demonstration laid the groundwork for scientific advances that would allow drones to search for a human target and then make an identification based on facial recognition or other software. So it's the whole moral of the story is we're taking the human out of the loop one more level yeah. of any discernment. So now all saying, of these drones just fly around and blow stuff up that they've been pre-programmed to blow up. Let's hope they don't get a virus. That well, would be really bad. Another interesting thing is, I think I, I think I did it probably a year or more ago on Future Quake, where what happened is, is they actually had uh, uh, Al Qaeda was actually, or maybe the Taliban or somebody over there that didn't like the U.S. was actually tapping into the drone frequencies because they had it on like FM radio or something, mm. and they could take a, they could take several pieces of off-the-shelf equipment, put it together, and then, con- and then look in the in the drone's camera eye, what that what the you wow. know tap into the signal. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'm sure. Military systems with some degree of autonomy, such as robotic weaponized sentries, have been deployed in the demilitarized zone between South and North Korea, and other potential battle areas. Researchers are uncertain how soon machines capable of collaborating and adapting intelligently on battlefield conditions will come online. It could take one or two decades, or longer. The U.S. military is funding numerous research projects on autonomy to develop machines that perform some dull or dangerous tasks uh, or uh, ethically unpalatable tasks and to maintain its advantage over potential adversaries who are also working on such systems. The killing of terrorism suspects and insurgents 
or even sovereign U.S. citizens, controlled by pilots sitting in bases thousands of miles away on the western United States, has prompted criticism that the technology will make war too antiseptic. Questions have also been raised about the legality of drone strikes when employed in such places as Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, or Austin, Texas, which are not at war with the United States. This debate will only intensify as technology. <laughs> Sorry. It's just so you think this is funny, all these people getting killed? It's just so ridiculous. It's like, you know, oh, well, wow, we're getting a lot of criticism from the fact that we're blowing mm-hmm. people up. Well, let's just make it Let's just make it that robots are doing it. Well, you know, I had done some work on these drones when I was in the military uh-huh. and went to a course work in it. Mm-hmm. And this was just not that many years ago. And FAA regulations didn't allow even just any kind, even if they were controlled by somebody, mm-hmm. over American airspace. Wow, and now it's like, who cares? They didn't allow them over American airspace, FAA, even if they were under control of somebody, because mm-hmm. they just thought things happen. You know, you lose signals and stuff, and what would happen, you know, on the ground, mm-hmm. and how far we've come. But now not only are we letting drones, well, now they're patrolling our cities, but we allow this to happen. But now the stage you're talking about, if I understand it right, is you get the whole person out of the loop to confirm. Mm-hmm. So if I have the bad luck that it's Halloween and I dress up like some guy who's on their watch list recognition, mm-hmm. there's nobody to say, oh, wait, he's got a trick-or-treat bag. We didn't put that in the software, but he must not be the guy we're looking for, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, to interesting, follow up on that. They say here, uh, scrolling on down the article here, they say, uh, the U.S. military has begun to grapple with the implications of emerging technologies. Authorizing machine to make lethal combat decisions is contingent upon political and military leaders resolving legal and ethical questions. According to an Air Force treatise called Unmanned Aircraft Systems Flight Plan. Unless it's classified, then we can do whatever we please. Yeah, these include the appropriateness of machines having this ability, under what circumstances it should be employed, where the responsibility for mistakes lies, and what limitations should be placed upon it, upon the autonomy of such systems, should we decide to deploy them? Um, Next, they'll be having machine uh, interrogators that'll have like little torture devices and little implements, and they can say, "Oh, we don't torture." We know we that's not, not us. Had any member of the U.S. Yeah. military torture anybody? Or CIA anybody? Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got this machine with a big hat pin that jabs them into, yeah. into your eye. Yeah. Yeah. None of us were in there, you know. You know, either he had we came in and there was a signed confession. We came in, or something strange happened to him, and things happened. You know. Lethal autonomy is inevitable, says Ronald C. Arkin the author of Governing Lethal Behavior in Autonomous Robots, a study that was funded by the Army Research Office. Um, so there, yeah, it okay. just goes on. It's like, well, I think we're going to have to pretty much call it pretty much a day for stories unless, Emmett, you got something you want to share real quick? No. We've got some emails that we want to do. If there's anything you want to share, I'm just seeing, I had, uh, um, I had two things that were like a couple sentences, and I'll just mention that and go to email. That's okay. All right. Rizzle. Um, Israel announces Jewish news broadcast alternative to Al Jazeera. I don't know if you all saw that, BeliefNet News. Um, the first ever Jewish news network will begin broadcasting tomorrow. That would be September 21st. 
Jewish News One was born as an alternative to the news leading, world's leading news networks, CNN, Fox News, and Sky News, reports Andy Sennett for the Media Network. But its main goal is to serve as the Jewish version of Al Jazeera, which has won the hearts of tens of millions of Arab viewers over the f- past 15 years. According to Israel's Mekor Rishon newspaper, the, the channel will be broadcast via satellite to Europe, North America, and Middle East, and Israel will be offered by the Yes Satellite Company. Senate reports that the network plans to broadcast news from Israel and the world 24 hours a day, seven days a week, from studios in Tel Aviv, Brussels, Kiev, Washington, Paris, and London, with broadcasts internationally in English, but eventually also Hebrew, French, Italian, Russian, and German. Now, you know, this is not the case that we are underserved by news. Like we would not have correspondence at, at some kind of world, you know, conflict site that we wouldn't be unaware of it without their addition. This is a case, and it's not just them, it's these other groups they mentioned too, where they want to have a forum, media forum, to put their spin on what's going on. Yep. And Al Jazeera, I'm sure, does their part, and CNN and Fox News does theirs. And that's what's happened to our media. And what's sad is, in this day and age of, of, Internet and all this other explosion of cable stuff. You think there's so many cho- choices. Theoretically, you should get the the right story. You don't have two or three voices. You get all this plurality. You'll get the right story, which is good. I would prefer it that way. But unless somebody has the discipline to recognize that each one of these groups are selling something, they're all propaganda arms. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. Sure. And until you sort it all out, try to figure out what is their innuendo versus what is hard data they present, you're doomed. Even if it's what you want to hear. Yeah. You know. Well, I would say the discipline to listen to them all or to listen to several sources. Either. It requires a commitment, yeah. a time. Yeah. You know, and all these other things. But anyway, that's a new one coming up that they feel like they were late to the dance, I guess. Which is ironic because, you know, there's some people who, uh, are so anti-Jewish, you know, they believe that the Jewish run every other media thing. So I don't know what they're going to think about that. They felt like they needed that. But um, so anyway, they're added to the discussion, you know, along with Al Jazeera. And everything. I just found it sort of interesting because you'll hear that, you know, accusations a lot, you know. And now they've got one that's definitely their own. But what's interesting on that front is that most of your conservative Christian groups Will, will respond to a few Israeli news sources, but yet there are other prominent Israeli news sources, Haaretz, uh, Jerusalem Post, all these other ones. you got Israel National News and stuff. They all vastly disagree on what's going on of Israelis. You know, I mean, they're all the ones whose necks are all at the same risk of what's going on. So even all of them, it's which one you latch onto there will say what's going on. Yeah. And so... It's just, it's complicated, you know. Uh, just another little one. It's like a little paragraph here that's back on Israel, which just complicates things a little bit further. Holy Land clerics bless Palestinian UN bid. These are the kind of guys I used to hate all the time. You know, the guys that wanted peace. You know, mm-hmm. couldn't stand them. Priests in the Holy Land. Peace. <laughs> Priests in the Holy Land use their sermons on Sunday to give their blessing to the Palestinians' bid for United Nations membership. The retired Latin patriarch of Jerusalem, Michael Sabah, the first Palestinian to hold the post since the Crusades, was to preach in the Roman Catholic Church in the uh, northern West Bank city of Nablus. A joint statement by Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, and Lutheran priests 
pledged their support for the diplomatic efforts being deployed to win international recognition for the state of Palestine on the June 67 borders with Jerusalem as a capital. The priests went further than their bishops, who in a statement this week confined themselves to call for intensified prayer and diplomatic efforts ahead of the Palestinian membership request to be sent to the UN Security Council on Friday. Palestinians and Israelis should exercise restraint, whatever the outcome of the vote at the United Nations, the bishop said. We call on decision makers and people of goodwill to do their utmost to achieve the long-awaited justice, peace, and reconciliation between Israelis and Palestinians. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas and Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu look set for a UN showdown next week, with Abbas planning to push for membership for the state and Netanyahu arguing against it. It says, despite the pressures we face of Palestinian, Palestine goes to the UN on the 23rd to seek admission as a full member, Abbas told Egyptian television. So, I don't know if you'll have any thoughts on that, but there were some Christian leaders of some view doing that. This is really flippant, but I think they need to, you know, have a... uh, just like an MMA fight to just decide the borders, you know? At least get it over with. Yeah. Man, it'll be heavy. But let's do it fair. Let's everybody come barehanded. Or Not have any big guys give big weapons to anybody on any well, side. Well, you know, like wearing gloves in a, in a cage. Yeah. So yeah, if y'all want to hate, yeah. hate each octagon. other, just fight it. Just please leave Throw the rest down of us in alone. the octagon. This one's for the West Bank. Yeah. Koba versus... Manresa, or I don't know. Yeah, you could have... Francisco Conseco. I can't remember the other guys. Different rounds to, like, deal with different issues. And the the fighter that wins that round wins that issue. Mm Mm-hmm. Or a piece of property. How about one block at a time or something like that? It's like David and Goliath. It's the right way to do it. It'd be a lot of MMA fights, man. You know, the question comes, who do you want to be yanked up from your property? You know? And, and the thing missing in all this is empathy. What would it be like to be in the other guy's shoes? Yeah, but at the same time, you know, there's always going to be somebody that's going to be unhappy. But it's in both of their interests to have peace. I, I guess I've gotten more of the view from, from the biblical side of it that I don't see in the Bible anywhere where as a Christian and under the New Covenant, we are told any specific things that we're supposed to do to be involved in what God is doing with Israel in the last days. There's no command. There's nothing he says. Now, let's not say we wish him ill will. We well, pray for the yeah, priests no, of I mean, Jerusalem most people, and those kind of things. Most people, of course, go with Genesis 15 saying, Blessing, I will bless thee. And I agree with blessing. But, you sure. know, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't bless people by giving them a gun. Yeah. I bless people by sharing the gospel with them. Yeah. And if, if I give them a gun, but I don't give them the gospel... How can I say that I bless them? When you when you don't call people out for doing you know evil, how how are you? Or even not giving them the thing they need to be blessed. They will never have peace until they embrace the Prince of Peace. Yeah. Never have peace. No matter how many guns, no matter how many Palestinians you kill or deport or whatever, there will never ever be peace. And in fact, um, I read an article. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember who it was from today. Uh, oh, it was from, from Bill Clinton, the great theologian Bill Clinton, talking about how when Netanyahu came along, it sort of ruined the peace plan. And he, he was talking, Bill Clinton was saying that 
when Rabin was assassinated and then when they formed the Kadima party to approve this plan. The Palestinians, I guess, said that they will be... Yasser Arafat nixed the plan. I mean, he really screwed it up for them. They say now if they would go back to that old plan, they'll accept it. And Netanyahu says no. But when Rabin died and then when... Um, oh, who was the guy who's, who's still alive, who... Uh, Formed Kadima. I can't think of his name. He's in a coma right now. I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Anyway, Bill Clinton said, you know, I wonder if God really wants there to be peace there or not. He says, because those are the two key things that would have gotten that approved that didn't happen. And, you know, I don't look to him for real spiritual guidance. But when I reflect on the Bible, the Bible says that it will be a cup of trembling. And while we are supposed to be peacemakers and pursue peace... God says that they cannot have peace because it will distract them from their spiritual need. They, only when they are beset by their enemies round about are they going to call to their Messiah. Hmm. Yeah. So, are we helping? Now, that doesn't mean we want to cause violence to them or we don't harm them in any stretch. We want to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. But when we try to prevent that, which is the very thing God says they need to finally solve their real problem, are we doing God's work? Or are we fighting the hand of God? That's the question I have. Yeah, I want the best for the Jewish people. That their best is for them to accept their Messiah, and anything else will never solve their problems. There'll never be a peace. Hmm. And so it's almost like we Christians are asking, acting in unbelief, like we believe that guns will bring peace to them, or money, or you know, power in the UN instead of their Messiah. Yeah. Well, and I think. I am not a believer that the modern state of Israel is Israel. Yeah. And hmm. I think people have to, uh, there's a difference between blessing a people and blessing some political organization. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the best I can figure out, even taking more of a dispensational view, is that, you know, God talks about 12 tribes at the end that he has doing things, and, and it seems like in Zechariah and things that there may be a remnant saved. Some people say that's passed on to the church, but... If you still say it's Israel, it's only a small remnant that make it. Most of them perish, in sadly, in this process. And so if you say that there's only a tiny nugget of people whose heart are in a position to be redeemable, you want everyone them to, but only position. So the overall majority of secular Israel, I mean, they're, they're almost I'd say overwhelming majority of the population is atheist. Yeah. So they have no cat connection. Jesus would say they're not children of Abraham, just because they're born. He says you're, you know, he already answered that in the New Testament. Yeah. So I mean, I agree with you that at best there's a small remnant there, and the rest of them have no more connection to God than anybody else. Yeah. And I think the Bible indicates that most of them are going to be vanquished. In fact, I think the Isaiah 17 battle when it talks about Damascus being wiped out and it says the glory of Jacob will fade and wax lean and it says men will be rarer than the gold of Ophir there in Israel but then it says then men will start calling on the creator there so it's like only when they're so devastated and I think that will probably get rid of Tel Aviv and most of their secular leadership and you'll have a small group of serious religious people that will sort of get the idea from God. But I could be wrong on that. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the best I can hope for, you know. Mm-hmm. So before I get in more trouble with our listeners, I guess I better get to email real quick. Get we'll wrap email. up. We got lots of email. Okay, this is from Brother Tim. Okay, Brother Tim says, 
Dr. Future, the change of format of your show has had a serious impact on my understanding of how far down the trail we are to the end of this age. I don't know if that means it's so, so terrible and horrible that the end of the world has to come because a future quake is so rotten, but... Yeah. I hope now he's not praying. It. Now he's praying for the apocalypse. This shows the depravity of humanity. It's because that bad. Just don't download yeah. it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let him elaborate here. Brother Tim, I'm sure, is laughing on that. He says, in effect, you and Tom are pulling back the shroud covering this world, revealing the man of lawlessness who currently holds the lease. This is saying something, given my default understanding of this world. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, comes to mind. Your interview with Sean Bonnewell was nothing short of excellent. I missed him on the 60s music scene, but he was possibly before my time. His old music is definitely psychedelic, especially his rendition of Hey Joe, that's for sure. I avoid this stuff as I launch way too easily into that realm. That show is worth a re-listen. The big pharma guy who raked you over, you remember, you remember uh, the email? Yeah, he just, he got all... Is still deep in deception, but he was listening, so he has a predilection for the truth. He may come too, I pray. My job at a large computer firm has me continuously examining how my world work enables the growing techno-feudal state that is coming into view. I may have to quit this work sooner than expected. You keep mentioning the dichotomy of being labeled both liberal and conservative. I knew I was on the right path when both camps were angry with me. Amen to that, brother. Because the church is so lost, uh, they make it about your vote, ways of man, rather than your heart, ways of God. To believe the Bible hook, line, and sinker, being a true disciple of Christ, you must anger all but, but his. Jesus said you would. Mm-hmm. Both Sadducees liberal and Pharisees conservative scheme together to kill the Lord of glory and then his followers. You are in good company, Tim. Well, I've made that latter point in my presentation on Holy War. Same kind of thing. I believe that. And oh, Tim, thank you for encouraging. He's a pretty deep kind of fellow, like a lot of our Futurians. Mm-hmm. This is from Ivan in Scotland. Scotland. Okay. Um, I'm just reading some, like some of it's a little personal. I'm reading some suggested things here. He says, uh, your show and ministry have been a great help and inspiration to me. I'm sure plenty of people have told you that listening to your show is like meeting up with old friends, and that is how I see you guys. You have a great chemistry together and add a bit of much-needed humor to the dark subject matter you have to cover. So, that's nice to hear. I hope we had enough of that today. I hope you didn't mess up our chemistry. But Sorry. You added, like, uh, too much reagent or something like that. I don't know. Formaldehyde. Formaldehyde. Yeah. Um, Okay, uh, he says, you guys have inspired and challenged me in my Christian walk and helped me in reaching out to my friends and family. It was Tom who gave me the idea to use films such as Invisible Empire and other films by Chris Pinto in opening their eyes to events in the world today, and it is proving to be fruitful. I'm really tired of people praising you so much, Tom. They always mention stuff you do, you know. I have no idea why. It really upsets me. Uh uh, he says, I agree with your opinion on most topics. I'm sure you don't get many emails saying that. Well, that's sort of true. You bring a much-needed balanced view to the table and one not colored with politi- political prejudice, which is what we need more of. If you ever need any info on what's happening here in the U.K. or in Ireland regarding any topic, let me know. I have a ton of material from Giants to the Knights of Malta. I say, send it on, brother. It's all fair game here, Ivan. 
History is my area of expertise. I will be completing my degree next year before going on to do my master's. Just finished my thesis on Artemis, whom I know you have been mentioning in your talk, which I want to know more about Artemis, who I'm thinking may be Wormwood. Uh, I find the more I learn, the more it confirms my faith. I know you guys are busy and have to go through a ton of emails every day, so I will not take any more of your time. Thanks and God bless. Hi, even in Scotland, it's cool to hear from you. I'd like to know what part of Scotland is it? Maybe we drop over and see Ivan. Go visit, man. And you know, he really wasn't terrible. Ivan the Terrible. Put him. Okay. I'm here, laughing on the inside. Here, here is somebody uh, called Paul in Texas. I think you might know who that guy is. He calls me all the time, man. Paul in Texas. Do you, have you reported to the authorities about it? I've tried. You put call block. They don't, they don't listen. Yeah. Uh, we'll have some video of him and me up. Hopefully soon, if you remind me to give doing it the, the big dunk, dunk, huh? Yep, yep. yep. Um, baptism and gun sh- shooting, the two meant to be together, mm-hmm. like peanut butter and jelly. Um, he says, uh, Doc. He says, uh, um, Oh, let me read the earlier part here. Hi, Doctor Future. I just wanted to let you and Tom know how great the show has been lately. I love the Triangle of Truth. I think there should that should be a new addiction to Future Quake. Goes back a ways. I think you might have already read this. The whole legacy. Did you really? Okay. Um, Well, he mentioned about being a prison minister. Yeah, I remember reading that. But then he had a follow-on later. He says, uh, by the way, my wife said she thought there should also be a didgeridoo of deception. To compliment it. I'm pretty sure that one's a. a to compliment the tiger okay. truth. I, I, I says, but my vote's the Dobro of deception. It sounds better. The Dobro of deception. I'm sorry if I reread that over. Maybe I just sat there reading Paul's emails day after day over, just reminiscing on them. I'm uh, just now getting that joke, by the way. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, this is the last one. Um. Ghani, we're going to leave yours for next week, so just hang with us, Ghani. Oh, yeah, it, Ghani, he's cool. Ghani, it, it actually may be the week after that's according to how long we go through the interview next week. But, Ghani, you're you're on deck, Circle, okay? So you've got a little donut on your bat, sort of going back and forth waiting, okay? But up to the play right now is uh, Brother Jason in Oklahoma City to conclude our show this week. He says, uh, I'm right there with you about not knowing everything and still learning. Which is, that's what I was telling him, is that I didn't have a clue about a whole lot of stuff. We were talking about, you know, do Muslims really worship God and just misunderstand all about him? Or is it really some other God? And I told him what I've had other missionaries tell me, and I don't know much else. So He says, I'm constantly having to reevaluate my views in this and many other areas. We have been misinformed or disinformed about so much. Boy, isn't that the truth? Even sometimes, sadly, in our churches. Mm-hmm. Even with all the good stuff we hear, too. In fact, your show has been instrumental in changing my opinion about Muslims, among other things. And for that, I thank you. Well, I thank you, brother, for, for not hating me, uh, Brother Jason. Not that I had any animosity toward them. But I did have the unfounded fears that most Americans have toward our current boogeyman. Amen to that. Shows like yours are helping me understand where the real threat is. And, of course, we know that ultimately we are in spiritual struggle. I love what Tom Bionic here, he goes again with Tom again, said a few shows back about how we should be glad that Muslims are immigrating to the U.S. because it makes it easier to evangelize them. I think that's true. Yeah. Lord, please send them. Please help us to be 
ready they're to easier do our to, job. They're easier to shoot with the forty-five that Jesus had when they're in this uh, country. Thanks, Tom. That's, that's real That's blessing. really what I meant. He says, I can relate to that. I love it when the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses approach me. The way I see it is that God brought them to me so that I could witness to them. So you don't run back and just close your doors and hide behind them, I guess. Sadly, I think many Christians are still hiding from them or slamming the door in their faces. Thanks again for doing Future Quake. Thank you, Brother Jason. And what you're doing, here we sit there and just flap our gums. Well, me, not not you guys, but, but Jason is going out there and doing something about it. And he's putting it into practice. And so I just want to tell you I'm blessed by that. And before I forget, somebody else who blesses us is Merv, who can tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, I think we need to call it a day. We're at that time. Would you oblige me to just say a quick prayer? Um, I just want to pray. Um, We've got some folk, including, you know, present company and things like that, that have some job issues and some life change issues. And I've just been really led to believe that there's a lot of people dealing with some other big problems. Uh, maybe because of these stresses or work or things like that. Even things like addiction issues. And it may be true even of our Futurians. That there may be some, uh, things that they're dealing with. Different addictions and other kind of things. It could be substance abuse. Uh, it could be addiction to something else or whatever. So if we can close before we say goodbye with just a quick prayer. Please do. For all of our Futurians, and that includes the three of us here. Heavenly Father, I just want to want to lift up all of us to you, Lord. All of us sitting here in this room, our Futurians are listening now, that are really struggling and sort of hanging on by fingertips, Lord, because of uh, job uncertainty, either being unemployed or having uncertain income, not knowing about the future. Um, Lord, that have uncertainty about some other part of our life, Lord, uh, whether it's housing, uh, some changes that we have to do, upheavals that are going on in our life, or relocation, whatever these things may be, Lord. And even those in our, in our family, Lord, that love you but are struggling so much and are so desperate that things have crept into their lives of any of us, Lord, that are not healthy, where they have crept into being addictions. Uh, whether it be substance, whether it be alcohol, drugs, anything like gambling, pornography, whatever it would be, Lord, that would be something that we're not controlling and will actually cause us harm, even though we think it actually distracts us or helps us to escape or makes us feel better for a little while. Lord, we know in our heart that it doesn't solve any of our problems. It doesn't have lasting fixes, and it's, and it's no way out of the tunnel. And so, Lord, I just pray for supernatural blessing for them. And I pray for the people who are around all of them and around us who suffer when those of us are, are dealing with that, Lord, and don't know what to do. And they're, they're appealing to you, Lord, on guidance. I pray that you would give them the grace to know how to minister 
and, and you minister them in, in the way the caretakers to the people who are impacted. Mm-hmm. But Lord, we just pray that there'd be fruit born from this prayer and that people would know that when you're talking to them right now, that if it's them that, that they suspect um, you're, you're, show, you're talking about and showing about, that they would be responsive and, and would seek your guidance and healing, Lord, and would follow you in the way out of this abyss, Lord, that they're in. Mm-hmm. And, Lord, we thank you so much we have each other around the world and our virtual family that one day we'll get to live together face-to-face all together with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're late. Any last comments you two gentlemen have before we say goodbye? Well, we're going to say goodbye. We've got a big interview. And, and Emmett, it was a pleasure to have you with us. It's good to be here. Even though it did impact some of our stories a little bit. Um, we had to have insight, unfortunately. And we had to have discussion and repartee, you know. But uh, ser- all th- kidding aside, I want to thank you so much for raising the bar for us. It's... I joined seeing y'all. It is yeah. a pleasure. You got it. You always got a chair here, okay? Whenever you can make it, when you get back, join us. And uh, you have fans out there, okay? That's what the word on the street is. So they miss hearing you out there. I'm going to be spending the rest of the time convincing y'all that you need a webcam to be like just showing what you guys are doing while you're recording the show. People would rather be seeing Nephilim than seeing us. I tell you, it'd be less frightening. Uh, the hand motions, especially Tom here. Uh-huh. He he, he's yeah. very passionate when he's telling his stories. And his well, I don't want them to be intimidated by our World Ministry Center here and by the ornate <laughs> facility that we have here. I don't want them to think that the millions of dollars we raise are are going, you know, into the elaborate furnishings that we're at. And I just, I you know, I'd rather them just just not know the kind of crystal cathedral that we uh, deal with here. So, ladies and gentlemen, we love all of y'all. Okay, thanks for hanging out with us weirdos here. We sure appreciate it. And uh, keep passing the word to other people you know. Of course, they may not talk to you after they hear Future Quake, but recommend it anyway. Spread the word to other folk. And until next week when we have our very interesting interview, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a Future Quake. Quake.